All right. Welcome, everyone, to He's Done It, a mostly sports podcast. I'm Corey Novotny, and I'm joined this episode, as always, by my co-host, Brian Wells, along with a special guest host, Benjamin Carlson, who joins us to help continue our 2021 NFL season preview series with the AFC West and the NFC West. We'll talk about Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. They enter the season as Super Bowl favorites. They've been two years in a row. Are they going to make it three? Are there any reasons to be concerned about their chances to get back to the big game? We'll talk about that as well as the other three teams in their division who all hope to make the playoffs after missing the past couple seasons, some in disappointing fashion. We'll talk about Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks. He had a bit of a tumultuous offseason. Will Seattle let Russ cook and keep him happy for another year and more? We'll talk about Matthew Stafford going to the Los Angeles Rams. Is he a big enough upgrade at quarterback to make the Rams Super Bowl contenders once again? The Cardinals added a lot of veteran talent in free agency. Will it be enough to get them into the playoffs after just missing it last season? And finally, the San Francisco 49ers, after making the Super Bowl in 2019, were hit hard by injuries in 2020. Notably, quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo. The Niners made a big move to go out and get Trey Lance. Will Jimmy be able to hold off the rookie sensation and keep things afloat in San Francisco? Finally, we'll conclude the episode with Ben's chosen top five countdown topic, favorite board games. So with that, let's get started. continuing with our 2021 NFL season preview series going division by division. We've already done the East and the South divisions. This episode, we'll be talking about the AFC West and the NFC West, and we are joined by recurring guest hosts, former co-hosts of He's Done It. Veteran listeners know him by now and probably are not surprised that he is on this episode. Benjamin Carlson, welcome back to He's Done It. Thank you so much, Corey. Happy to be back and happy to be talking about my Niners. I think uh, think there's a lot to talk about, and I'm really looking forward to getting back to football. Absolutely. We'll be talking about the Niners in addition all the other West Division teams. Before we get into it, you know, you are, in addition to being a big football fan, you have your own podcast, your own Twitch stream, Affable Chat. I think veteran listeners, as much as they know you, they probably are very familiar with your content, if nothing else, because every time you come on, we talk about it. We have top five episodes where we mention it. And so you can throw out the plugs right now. Um, I think you kind of did uh, it already there. Right. Yeah. Affable Chat. We do um, media analysis, mostly movies. We drop a episode of the podcast every week, wherever you find your podcasts. And we're live on Twitch every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern time, twitch.tv slash affable chat. So come check us out. We're the only affable chat on the internet. So just search it wherever you, there's a search bar and, and you'll find us. <laughs> 
Yeah, for sure. You're uh, always putting out excellent content. Definitely recommend that, especially for those who like to consume content that isn't just sports, uh, because that is certainly the, the main dominant factor in our show. Uh, and with that, let's start talking about sports. Let's talk about football. Let's start with the AFC West, and let's start with the team that has dominated this division and the conference the past few seasons, the Kansas City Chiefs. Back-to-back seasons, they've gone to the Super Bowl. They won Super Bowl 54, lost Super Bowl 55, and they entered the 2021 season as the favorites to make it and win Super Bowl 56. So the big storyline for them heading into the season is given that, will the Chiefs continue to live up to their lofty expectations and reach the Super Bowl for the third straight season? Is there any reason to believe that they won't get back there? I think there are definitely reasons to support why they should be back in the Super Bowl, in Super Bowl 56. I mean, they have the same core weapons returning, like Mahomes and Tyreek and Kelsey and Edwards Hilaire. And then they also added a lot of offensive line help in Joe Tooney and Orlando Brown Jr. uh, through free agency and through trades. So that's definitely going to help, especially with the way their offensive line looked in Super Bowl 55, where they pretty much got destroyed by Tampa's front four. And yeah, they're all, the Chiefs are always good. I mean, Mahomes' record for the first three seasons, they're 12-4, and 11-3, and three, and 14-1, and one, and all this starts in his first three seasons. So the Chiefs should still be amazing, but I can also see why they wouldn't get back to the Super Bowl. I mean, they did lose Sammy Watkins. Now, he's always hurt, but can we really expect McCall Hardman Byron Pringle and Demarcus Robinson to be reliable secondary receivers that I'm not sure of. And was their defense possibly exposed in last year's Super Bowl? I mean, when when the Chiefs didn't make it to the Super Bowl three years ago when they lost to the Patriots, a big reason why they lost was because their defense was putrid, even though Mahomes was amazing, was an MVP through 50 touchdowns. A lot of the reason why... They didn't get to the Super Bowl that year was because of their defense. And so I wonder if they've come back down to earth or if they can regain the form from two years ago when they did win the Super Bowl and they were a decent enough defense. And then another reason why I'm a little bit worried if I were a Chiefs fan is that there are teams in the AFC that are getting better, like the Browns, the Ravens, and even the Bills if they get back to the AFC Championship again, just like last year. So I'll admit my answer is I don't know and I can – see reasons why they should be back but also might not be i see no reason to overthink this one i i think you uh already stated the argument they've got their core weapons still around and it's patrick freaking mahomes i mean this guy has been incredible and i have yet to see this guy like sure maybe he can come down to earth but maybe he's just stuck up there in space and he's gonna be amazing for his entire career like i i i I mean, it, it's uh, he's he's like no one else, and I think as long as you've got him playing the most important position with all those weapons around him, yeah, I think you've got a pretty good chance. So last season, we did a full season preview, and the two of you both picked the Chiefs to go back to the Super Bowl. I went against the green and picked the Ravens for no reason other than the Chiefs can't get back to the Super Bowl two years in a row, right? It's so difficult to do that. Outside of that, I can't think of a reason why they can't go back three years in a row. To me, barring a catastrophe, a like Patrick Mahomes long-term injury, the Chiefs definitely deserve to be the favorites. 
and I don't see a reason why they can't live up to those lofty expectations. Like I, I look at their depth chart and say, okay, yeah, there's maybe a drop off from Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey, but you're talking about two of the best offensive pass catchers in the entire league. There's always going to be a drop off after those guys. And then you point to the defense and the play in the Super Bowl. Yeah, the defense really struggled in that game, but I think there is a lot more to it than that. I think the offensive struggles led to the defensive struggles, and maybe their defense isn't like you know top five, top ten in the league, but I think all they have to be is league average. Like they have to be better than that what thirty second ranked defense that lost exactly, in the twenty seventeen yeah. AC championship game. I I really don't have a whole lot of reasons to be concerned about a, a fully healthy Chiefs team. You mentioned the offensive line. What they do in the offseason following at Super Bowl? They paid Joe Tooney a ton of money, one of the top free agent guards on the uh, market, and they traded for Orlando Brown Jr., who the Ravens were playing him at left tackle because of an injury. He didn't want to go back to right tackle. So, you know, by that, he was probably the best offensive lineman on the trade market. So I... I find it hard to see any other team competing with the Chiefs. Like, yes, there are a lot of great teams in the AFC, but Ben, like you said, give me a fully healthy Chiefs roster with Patrick Mahomes at quarterback against anyone else in that conference. Um, that's that's kind of the way that I'm looking at this team is that until someone else can actually prove that they can beat them, I'm not going to go and say that I think somebody can because I just have no reason to believe it. Can we jump back right quick to that AFC championship game? Was that the D Ford offsides call that was that. yeah so that was the defense kind of blowing it but wasn't it also didn't that game end in overtime yeah and they the chiefs never had the ball so if no. Mahomes <laughs> gets the ball there yeah if it comes yeah, they down probably to a coin win. flip absolutely that, i mean that's that's another thing that took was a, a coin just flipping in the wrong direction for him and yeah. if you look yeah. at the chiefs losses so in the past three seasons going back to 2018 when patrick mahomes is healthy as a starting quarterback 43 to 40 54 to 51 29 to 28 38 to 31 37 to 31 38 31 to 24 35 to 32 40 to 32 and then 31 to 9 in the Super Bowl so in all of those instances it takes a lot of points to outscore the Chiefs so and at that point you're going head to head with Patrick Mahomes there are only so many teams who can do that in most of those cases these are regular season games they were maybe playing in prime time, maybe coming off big wins, kind of letdown games. Yes, the Chiefs are going to lose some games. I expect them to lose more than one game with Patrick Mahomes this year. I think that you know maybe they'll lose three or four. But ultimately, when it comes down to it, the only team player who's been able to beat him in the Super Bowl has been Tom Brady. He's not going to face him en route to the Super Bowl at the very least. And as long as uh, you know nobody else you know around the league can morph into him make a deal with the devil whatever they have to do I, <laughs> i'm gonna Lance. take i'm gonna Sorry. take patrick mahomes another one that he's not gonna <laughs> face him this season so <laughs> i'm gonna take patrick mahomes against any other quarterback in the afc so barring catastrophe to me there's no reason that anyone should be questioning the chiefs as super bowl favorites at least afc favorites for the record i was i was just trying to come up with some reasons to no, doubt. No, and that's I, 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 don't I think that's totally clear. Absolutely. No, yeah. and it's I don't want to just say, yeah, they're awesome. Because it, hear me back. It's not that's impossible. Not yeah. so I want to come up with reasons to be uh, against them, but yeah, no I'll, analysis I'll needed. Guys. Let's so, all just yes. nod in unison and say Chiefs to the Super Bowl and move yeah. on. <laughs> yeah. No, I I think that anybody who's picking another team to advance to the Super Bowl out of the AFC is just picking against the Chiefs to pick against the Chiefs. Sure. Is really and, the reality and, of it. 
Well, and speaking of reality, the reality of football is that you got to only lose one game in the postseason to ruin an entire season. And just like last season, the Chiefs came face to face with detrimental injury. So, no, by no means is this a guarantee, but if you're looking at these teams on paper, I mean, there's no stronger looking team than the Patrick Mahomes Chiefs. Yeah, and injuries are always part of the game. This can look silly in a few weeks if they lose someone really significant. I mean, it doesn't even have to be Mahomes. If Kelsey or Hill go down, then this offense, in theory, would take a step backwards if Demarcus Robinson and Byron Pringle and Meikle Hardman are the top weapons. But ultimately, I believe that Patrick Mahomes is a great enough quarterback, They and they have enough solid weapons. They have a great offensive-minded coach in Andy Reid that they can overcome minor things. And that's why I say I think it's going to really take catastrophe to ruin this team that no no other team around this conference is toe-to-toe with the Chiefs and that it would be an upset for the Chiefs to lose a playoff game all right so with that let's talk about the other three teams in the AFC West I (laughs) I don't think that any of us will be nearly as high on them but there's reasons to be optimistic about all three teams despite none of them making the playoffs the past few seasons. Let's start off with the team who came the closest, the Las Vegas Raiders. So the Raiders in back-to-back seasons under you know, head coach John Gruden, their last season in Oakland, first season in Las Vegas, got off to strong starts, 6-4 and four in 2019, 6-3 and three in 2020. But in 2019, after that start, they lost five of their last six games. And then last year, they lost five of their last seven, and they ultimately finished outside of the playoff field. So the big storyline for the Raiders is after back-to-back late-season collapses, can the Raiders finally put it all together and reach the postseason this year? Playoffs? <laughs> don't talk about playoffs. Are you kidding me? Playoffs? I don't get no. it. I, if anybody can motivate their guys, it should be John Gruden. This seems like the opposite of what I would expect from a, a team like his. You know, maybe like the opposite where he'd start off bad, but then he'd you know rally the guys to make the playoff push, not be in a good spot and then blow it two years in a row. Uh, I, I don't know how to explain this Raiders team. You've said on multiple occasions, 10 years, 100 million, one Super Bowl. I, I think you should rephrase it to 10 years, 100 million, one playoff appearance. Because <laughs> <laughs> the Raiders are going to suck this year. And... Yeah, I, I wish I, I love John Grimm, but I wish he'd just go back to ESPN because I, I, I genuinely liked him on ESPN on Monday Night Football. He get, he was he was entertaining and gave great insight at the same time, but as a coach, this this Gruden experiment with the Raiders in his second stint with the Raiders is just is not working. And I mean I question I question big time his first round selections, especially because I mean, Josh Jacobs has been really, really underwhelming his first couple of seasons. Henry Ruggs wasn't that great last year. I know it's only one year, but I mean, between him, Judy, Lamb, and Jefferson, he's definitely he was definitely the worst of those the four of them last year. And then Clear, Clinton Farrell, I don't even know if I pronounced that right. <laughs> Cleveland, uh, Cleveland Farrell. Cleveland Farrell. Yeah, I, I barely remembered his first name. He he hasn't been very good. He has only. I think six sacks in his first couple of seasons. Yeah, that was a huge reach at number four overall, and yeah. he certainly has not proven the Raiders right. And then Arnett, Damon Arnett, who they took in the first round last year, he's not even the, a starting corner on their depth chart. Another reach. And then so. this year they took, I think Alex Leatherwood uh, at tackle, yep. and 
apparently that was a huge reach from 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 where they got him in the first round. He was supposed to be a second round pick. Yeah, injury concerns really early. Injury so, concerns definitely docked his you know uh, expected draft stock, but he still went in the first round. So I don't like Gruden's draft process, whatever it is, because none of these guys have have panned out so far. Right, but see, the problem with Gruden is to find out which guys are Gruden grinders, he has to watch them play Monday night football, and none of these draft prospects are doing that. So he's just <laughs> shooting into the dark. So I'll tell you what, man, I think this guy can play, even though I've never seen him play on Monday night football. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not totally down on the Raiders. I do think that they can be a playoff team this year, but I think a lot of it's going to come down to the offensive line, and that's something where it's, so you can question the draft moves, I mean, they they released Rodney Hudson, and you know the the Cardinals came along and said, "Hey, we'll take him for a seventh round pick." He's one of the best centers in the league, and they traded Trent Brown to the Patriots. They they just blew up a really strong offensive line, and I can't help but question what their offensive line is going to be like this year. If you look at you know the guys that they have coming in, so Colton Miller, I think he's kind of established himself at left tackle as a really solid pass protector, but he's not a good run blocker. Richie Incognito, we know in his heyday he was great, but he's coming off a season where he only played two games, so I don't know what he's going to be like coming back from injury. Andre James is a huge question mark at center, without a doubt going to be a downgrade from Rodney Hudson. Denzel Good, I mean, he's he's a good offensive lineman. That's not just his name, but he should not be the best <laughs> offensive lineman on a team. And then Alex Leatherwood is someone where there's injury question marks with him. If he lives up to the billing as a first-round pick, then that could change the Raiders' fortunes. But I think ultimately the offensive line is going to be a huge detriment for this team, which you mentioned Josh Jacobs has been underwhelming. He's ran for over 1,000 yards the past two seasons. And they brought in Kenyon Drake, so they have weapons there. Receiver, Henry Ruggs, Brian Edwards, Hunter Renfro, like young guys. They brought in John Brown as a veteran. Derek Carr is someone where, like, I don't know what to make of him. I know, Brian, you've loved Derek Carr over the years. He yeah, hasn't su- been the same super since nice that guy back and injury in 2016. But I, I really did like him when he came out. And he was, he was showing improvement year by year, but then all of a sudden – during his near MVP season, he gets hurt, and I don't want to blame it just on that, but ever since then, it's never been the same, and it's just been downhill. Yeah, very since. similar to Carson Wentz. It hasn't gotten that bad. Like He's still the starting quarterback for the Las Vegas Raiders, but yeah, I mean, I, the Raiders had a, I think they were number eight overall offense last year. They have the potential. The offensive line can blow away expectations then I think the Raiders can win games. And then I guess it's a matter of can they avoid that late season collapse down the stretch. Uh, But yeah, I think there's a ton of reasons to question this team just based off the offensive line alone. And then you talk about, you know, John Gruden, is he on the hot seat this year? I think he is. I don't know how his contract works, but if they miss the playoffs again, is he worth paying $10 million a year? Does he, next he, no. like, Does he get he doesn't get all hundred million if they fire him? What? I don't know how the contract works, but even then, like, are you gonna keep him around way past his expiration date for that reason? Is you gonna use I, that? I, Vegas I thought they money were signing up for a decade. Yeah. I thought they were signing up for a decade of Gruden. That's how this works. It's not gonna be uh you know, he's not gonna get that one Super Bowl until the end of the tenth year. That's year going time. to be the way yeah. it works. So that you got to pay him all $100 million. So they, they just going to have to suffer for now. But but one thing I, I want to ask, because uh, this is this is kind of like bringing up old news, but how do you guys feel now that we can look at it in retrospect, the Khalil Mack 
trade went, but because before these draft picks were made, you know, he had to acquire them. How do you feel that now that we actually have some real insight and it's not just projection, we can say how that went? I mean, I, I don't feel like the Bears gained that much. I mean, right out of the gate when Khalil Mack was lighting it up in his first game with the Bears, I'm like, wow, well, this is a mistake <laughs> for the Raiders. No doubt about it. But I mean, neither of them have really won the trade. Does that make sense at all? Like, yeah, I feel, I I feel agree like with it's that. a. Okay, okay. I don't think the Raiders should regret it. Um, I think that the Bears got a lot out of Khalil Mack in that first season, and he hasn't lived up to the hype in the seasons after that um that being said i don't know if the raiders are in like a significantly better position because they tried they decided to trade him instead of pay him right well i'm I'm looking right now in 2020 they're 29th in adjusted sack rate so still bad at that still bad at <laughs> which they've yeah. been bad at rushing the passer since they lost khalil mack but um like you said i mean i guess it didn't win a super bowl for the bears either so and they didn't even win a playoff game no, so I, I I think that's one where like I don't know the Raiders should look back and regret that, but they they need to make moves. They need Cleveland Farrell to step up. You know, Max Crosby yeah. has had his moments. I think Yannick Ngokwe was a solid signing for them, but he's someone who's on his fourth team in what two seasons now. So there's a reason for that. Yeah. Um, so well, I, I I appreciate that take. I feel like that's a really reasonable take, but it's kind of like they both are losers, or neither of them are really winners. Because when that trade first happened, everyone was like, "John Gruden's an idiot." Like this is easily uh, like the worst trade ever, and I I hate when people do that because you can't tell what those draft picks are going to become. And if you're the I, Raiders, I was in that camp. If you're the Raiders and you're rebuilding, you're looking for assets. It doesn't matter if Khalil Mack is you know borderline defensive player of the year if you win three games because it doesn't matter you know you should be building for the future and we could make the argument he hasn't really used those assets very well in the first round but still the you can't know that until you do it yeah I think it's easy to react to a trade in the moment and say that the team who gets the proven commodity worked out better but you know there's plenty of time for those kind of deals to change and I, this is a case where the the Khalil Mack trade is uh maybe not aged as well as it looked like it was going to immediately in Chicago um, anyway we're talking about the AFC West and let's move on to our next team and that is the Los Angeles Chargers who entered the 2020 season without Philip Rivers as their starting quarterback for the first time in I believe 17 years and the expectation was that Terod Taylor would be the starting quarterback. He had a surprise injury in week two that forced Justin Herbert into action, and he tore it up right from the get-go and ultimately won Offensive Rookie of the Year despite being just the third quarterback selected in his own draft class. So despite the success of Justin Herbert, the Chargers finished 7-9 and nine below 500 outside the playoffs of the second straight season, and the team decided it was time for a change. Cleaned house, fired Anthony Lynn. Brandon Staley, defensive coordinator for the Los Angeles Rams, moved to the other side of town to become head coach of the Chargers. And he brought in new offensive coaches as well with Shane Stryken replaced at offensive coordinator by Joe Lombardi and Pep Hamilton replaced that quarterback coach by... Chain day. So given that the Chargers have made these changes, uh, there's 
is there reason for optimism? Uh, is the big storyline for the Chargers? Will a new coaching staff be the answer for a team that has continuously disappointed in recent years? So I'm actually really high on the Chargers this year. And I remember when Corey and I, we were talking about best and worst coaching hires. I remember when we were talking about Brandon Staley, I wasn't really a fan of the move at first because I really thought they should have brought an offensive-minded guy and helped develop Herbert even more. But I've actually come around on it a little bit more. And so last year he was, of course, the defensive coordinator for the Rams. And the Rams' defense, they were they were first-team defense in passing yards and passing touchdowns. They were the fourth least penalized team. And they also gave up the least amount of first downs. And they were also a top-five run defense as well. Any defensive metric you, you look at for the Rams, they're all good. And, of course, a lot of that has to do with the fact that the Rams have a lot of talent on their defense, but I also like to believe that some of that also has to do with good coaching as well. And so I'm I'm definitely coming around on the hire. And also, not having Anthony Lynn firing him is already addition by subtraction. Wow, that's harsh. <laughs> but not without reason. Um, I Yeah, there were definitely some games that it felt like the Chargers lost via bad decision-making last year as opposed to, I don't know, some sort of thing that the coach could do right. Um, but I, I feel the same way. Uh, like Having a refresh with a offensive rookie of the year quarterback, you can feel really optimistic about a team that's going in like that, um, especially when you already have like great weapons for that quarterback. It feels like he's really enabled. Um, I just, uh, well, how do you guys feel about their defense though? I, I know we have a defensive coach, but the personnel there. I mean, yeah, it's certainly not as good as the Rams, but they were, they were decent last year and I'd imagine that they'll be even, even better this year. Maybe not elite, but I think above average defense we can expect from the Chargers this year. Is Derwin James healthy? I mean, I think that he's a huge component to that defense. The expectation is that he will be, but we've barely seen him on the field the past two seasons. And I think that that's really kind of sums up my feelings about the Chargers is that things always go wrong for them. I mean, we talked about this back in January when the Chargers made this hire and, you know, we were talking about the most desirable coaching options and the Chargers have been a head coach away from being a Super Bowl contender since they fired Marty Schottenheimer after a 14-2 and season. And I don't know if it's fair to you know, just assume that they're always going to be dreadful and nothing will ever go right for them, but that's kind of my mindset right now. And I get that Staley wanted to bring in a new coaching staff, but he had a lot of, like the, the previous guys had a lot of success with Justin Herbert. Joe Lombardi is coming over from New Orleans where he had been the quarterback's coach for, I believe, five seasons, or at least he had been a quarterback's coach for five seasons, most recently with the Saints. Is he going to come in and lead this offense and have the same kind of success? What's the change going to be like going from Pep Hamilton at quarterback coach to Shane Day going to be like for Herbert? I think there are reasons to question it just off that how's that gonna go and then beyond that the Chargers are like one of the most unlucky teams ever I mean they've had seasons where they were number one offense number one defense and still miss the playoffs in 2018 <laughs> even then in 2018 when everything went right they like 
their their offense was great. You know, Philip Rivers looked like he was uh, one of the better quarterbacks in the league. Their defense was amazing. And it was the last time Derwin James was healthy. I'm pretty sure the kicker made it to the Pro Bowl. When was the last time the Chargers had a reliable kicker? Even then, everything goes right, and they still end up as a wild card, and they still can't make it out of the second round of the playoffs. So, I don't know. I'm not optimistic on the Chargers because they always let down. And it's not even just an issue with Anthony Lynn. It's something that goes back to the North Turner days and, you know, some of the other guys that they've had running the show there. So yeah, I, I guess if Brandon Staley can come in and prove that he's a difference maker, then the chargers can be very successful because they certainly have the talent to be, but I just, I can't believe it. All right. Let me clarify that I'm really high on them in terms of a playoff team. (laughs) <laughs> no, and I get that, and I'm not saying I'm I'm not <laughs> saying oh you shouldn't be high on them as a Super Bowl contender, but they're still a playoff team. I'm not high on them as a playoff team. I I think that they're just they're a cursed organization. It's just the way that I put it. And just knowing the Chargers, I feel like some of these moves are more likely to backfire than actually work out well for them. It, I could certainly be proven wrong. Like this is something where like I totally recognize that I'm just kind of going with like the past and I'm not looking into the future with it. But if I have to find a, a reason to knock down the Chargers, like I think that's a pretty great one. Is that every year they're supposed to turn it around and they rarely fully do. Hey, at least um, whatever they do, they're gonna look cool doing it. I mean, talk about they great do jerseys. have the best uniforms in football. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. We did when we did this um, series. Two years ago in 2019, I ranked the powder blue Chargers jerseys as the number one jersey in the NFL. I'll admit, my list would look a lot different now than it, than it was then, and I probably would have the Chargers fire. Those are nice uniforms. I yeah, agree. they do have really great ones um, that they introduced last year. So with that, let's talk about the final team in the AFC West. That is the Denver Broncos. So in... 2019, they finished the season strong with Drew Locke at quarterback. And then in 2020, they made some big moves in the offseason using several draft picks early on receivers and tight ends. Even had some analysts predicting Drew Locke to win MVP of the league in 2020. Some, Things, definitely some. some yes. Things, or even one. <laughs> <laughs> Things did not turn out so well for Denver. Locke got hurt in week two, and when he came back, he disappointed. The Broncos couldn't put anything together. Uh, a lot of questions at quarterback to the point where they entered the offseason as a team that was looking to make a major upgrade. A lot of rumors about Deshaun Watson, Aaron Rodgers. Ultimately, those didn't work out for one reason or another. And the team's only major quarterback move was trading for Teddy Bridgewater, who was the starter for the Carolina Panthers last season. He's had his moments in his career, but certainly is not of an Aaron Rodgers quality. So the big storyline for the Broncos heading into 2021, after failing to make a huge offseason quarterback splash, can Drew Locke or Teddy Bridgewater be enough to get the Broncos to the playoffs? I have the same sentiment on the Broncos as I did a few months ago where, yes, I think their defense will be good and I think it'll even be better than it was last year, getting Von Miller back and then also drafting Patrick Sertan and also signing uh, Kyle Fuller and, and Ronald Darby. So all those guys should definitely help their defense, but they are deficient at quarterback, the most important position in sports. Where And I, I really feel like they should have drafted Fields. I've said that numerous times. And, I mean, I think 
Teddy Bridgewater will be the starter, and I do think he is an improvement over Drew Locke because Drew Locke, Drew Locke is he was way too turnover prone last year, and Teddy Bridgewater, he's not an exciting quarterback, but the thing he does better than a lot of a lot of quarterbacks in the league is that he takes care of the football on most occasions, and so I think they'll improve at the position and they they'll turn they won't turn the ball over as much as last year, but I still think that their ceiling is capped at that position and I think that will cost them this year yeah I I don't feel very strongly about this Broncos team I do like Teddy Bridgewater a lot I I think more than most I look back at his uh days as a uh, New Orleans Saint uh you know if you put him in a functional offense I think that he can give you a lot of production but at the same time, I I just don't feel that confident about this uh, Broncos offense. So um, especially when you exist in it, like I feel this way about actually the last three teams you talked about is like when you exist in a division that you basically like I don't see them beating the Chiefs. So it's just getting the scraps that's left from that. Um, I don't know how I feel about them getting to the playoffs this year. So I'm actually surprisingly really high on the Broncos this season. I, <laughs> I am every year. Every year, <laughs> the past two seasons, I've picked them to make the playoffs. Now, and when I say I'm really high on the Broncos, uh, kind of tempered expectations, probably similar to how Brian feels about the Chargers. In no way do I think they can compete with the Chiefs. But I don't know. I, I kind of like their chances with Locke and Bridgewater at quarterback this season. I'm not going to go overboard with it, but I do think that you're either going to have a quarterback in Bridgewater who is at least a proven commodity, someone who is capable of leading a functioning offense. Like you mentioned, he was what five and zero with the saints a couple seasons ago. Undefeated. Yeah. And if, if there's also the possibility where he pushes lock, I mean the, the point where drew lock is a starting quarterback, he has like legitimate competition. The Broncos are trying to light a fire under lock by going out and acquiring a veteran like Bridgewater who is very capable of stepping in and playing and performing at a quality level on a moment's notice. So I'm pretty optimistic. I, I really like the their weapons still. I mean, as Cortland Sutton's coming off an injured season, yep. but he was great in 2019. I expect Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler to step up in year two. Noah Fant, a really solid tight end. I think he's still going to be, um, you know, one of the better tight ends in the league. And then at running back, they already have Melvin Gordon, and they let Philip Lindsay go in free agency, but they went out and drafted Javante Williams, who maybe he didn't get the same hype as Najee Harris and Travis Etienne, but he was the third running back out of three really solid running backs in the draft. So I'm a firm believer of their offense, and on defense, I really like um, some of the moves they did, really kind of revamping their secondary. They went out and they signed Kyle Fuller, who the Bears unceremoniously released, and they brought back Justin Simmons. They brought back um, Von Miller, who is, you know, as long as he's healthy, that's a great one-two punch of a pass rusher with Bradley Chubb. So I I am optimistic once again on the Broncos this season. Uh, even their offensive line just has questions. Uh, Garrett Bowles finally came into his own former first-round pick. He was phenomenal last year. And um, I'm reasonably optimistic that Dalton Risner and either Lloyd Cushenberry second year center or Quinn Miners who they drafted in either the second or third round can also step up and have a competent offensive line in Denver so yeah I'm, I'm high again on the Broncos this season and I absolutely believe that they can be a playoff team uh, I think if Aaron Rodgers 
did end up in Denver, like a lot of people believed was a possibility, they would be a true Super Bowl contender. But um, just having Bridgewater and Locke, I think, are enough that they can get to the playoffs. And, you know, ultimately, I'm sure that it's going to blow up in my face like it always does. But... You know, once again, I'm I'm entering the season with high hopes of this team. I don't know. You, you maybe you've 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 definitely pushed the needle for me, Corey. I think they might even be able to get second place in the division. Maybe <laughs> that's uh that that's pretty uh that, I think that's pretty compelling. I mean, they also drafted Sertain, right? Patrick Sertain. They did. They drafted Patrick Sertain in the first round. The best cornerback, uh, although he's definitely the second best cornerback in this draft class, but still uh, definitely an addition there as well. Yeah, him and J.C. Horn are, are different players, but you know, for those, it's a matter of which kind of guy are you looking for, and I think the Broncos made a great choice by taking Sertain. A little surprise. Like, could they have gone fields? Sure, but I think that their uh, their hope is they're going to push that quarterback problem down the road, see if they have a chance with a guy like Rodgers or you know another star quarterback who could be on the move, given that we see a lot of quarterback turnover these days. So um, I'm, I'm not too concerned about that, that decision yet and uh we'll see um realistically they're probably gonna go six and 11 but one of their wins is gonna be week five against the Steelers so I'm gonna hate them for that but I'm uh I'm optimistic that this team can finally put it all together this year yeah to play devil's advocate I I do like them more than the Raiders I mean that's not saying much but I do like them more than the Raiders and yeah their their weapons on offense they're definitely a little bit better they're gonna be a little bit better than last year especially since court and Selman. Cortland Sutton missed all of last year with a torn ACL, and like you said, they added Javante Williams, the arguably the third best back in the in this year's draft class, maybe even better. And so, yeah, I I think their weapons are are pretty good on offense. But I, I'll, I'll admit, I'm just I'm too focused on their deficiency at quarterback, and that's certainly going to be a big factor for this team this year. So, with that, let's. Get ready to wrap up the AFC West by starting off with a new addition that we believe will have the biggest impact this season. So, Brian, we're going to start with you. So, as we've done these division previews, Element, when it comes to additions that will make the biggest impact, Element, I've picked guys that have been super obvious, but in this division, I'm going to go a little bit off the board. I'm going to go with two guys because they nearly play the same position. They're in the same position group. I'm going to go with Rashawn Slater and Corey Lindsley, who are both on the Chargers' offensive line. For Rashawn Slater, he was a guy that was a projected top 10 pick, and he fell all the way down to 13 for the Chargers to take him. And so he falls down to 13, and they secure probably, in my opinion, their biggest need, which was a left tackle for Justin Herbert. And then Corey Lindsley, they signed him in free agency to a five-year, $62.5 million deal, and he was a first pro all-center last year. So that those two moves in, via draft and via free, free agency are going to be huge for their offense, particularly Justin Herbert and his development especially since he was in the top 10 last year in terms of most sacked quarterbacks in the league. And he played 15 games last year. He didn't even play 16. And so those two guys are going to be massive uh, for the offense, especially Herbert. So those are the two guys I think will make the biggest impact. Yeah, we didn't talk about it earlier, but the Chargers did totally revamp their offensive line. They all signed Matt Filer, way overpaid, $7 million a year, a former Pittsburgh Steeler, but they're 
that I guess that is a reason to maybe believe in their offense. You know, in addition to the coaching changes, is the offensive line changes. I assume I'm next. All right. Yes. Uh, so for I think this is a really tough division to pick a one biggest impact addition. It feels like there was plenty of like notable names, but nobody who sticks out as clearly the most dominant. So I, I went with a move that I just liked a lot, uh, which was Jared Cook to the Chargers. So staying with the Chargers here, um, I think it's important that you keep the ball rolling with your young quarterback who just is coming off a great year uh, and giving him quality uh targets is a great way to do that and i think jared cook is a great receiving tight end that can be kind of a uh security blanket type guy who can be out there and you know make the contested catch and just be a reliable target for your young quarterback uh, and keep his confidence high especially uh when you know you're replacing hunter henry who was such a great tight end for the chargers so um i think that's the biggest impact uh, name that I came up with for the AFC West. So I, I kind of feel like I have to go with Teddy Bridgewater here. Um, ultimately, I think that his impact will either come as the starting quarterback or as the backup. And whether it's a positive or a negative one, he's going to play a huge role in how the Broncos do this season. If he can come in and be a competent starting quarterback, you know, take over for Drew Locke, then this team could certainly go to the playoffs. But if the Broncos quarterback situation looks a lot similar to last season and Teddy Bridgewater is not the answer, then you know this Denver team is ultimately going to find themselves at or near the bottom of the division, and that'll provide opportunities for a team like Las Vegas or Los Angeles to sneak into the playoffs instead. So um, to me, you know, I, I think that I agree with you guys that there are a lot of additions. It's hard to choose one, but you know, given that he is a quarterback for a team that I have high expectations for, I kind of feel like I have to go with him. All right. Now let's go with a bold prediction for the division. I'll go first. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I'm obviously pretty high on the chargers, not in terms of like, Super Bowl contender or anything, but in terms of their playoff chances, I like them a lot. But like Corey said, they've definitely had a lot of bad luck for the past several years. They've won nine games or less in each of the last 11 of the last 12 seasons. So yeah, certainly a lot of bad luck going their way. But I do think that that's not going to be the case this year. And I think with how their pieces look on both sides of the ball, uh, especially offensively with not just their offensive line additions that I talked about, but I love Austin Eckler and Keenan Allen. And Herbert is certainly much better than I expected, and I think he's only going to get better. And I think the coaching change uh, is definitely going to help, especially their defense. So my bold take is that they break that trend that I mentioned and they win double-digit games this year, and I'll say they make it all the way to the divisional round. All right, that's uh, less bold than what you have been doing, but I think that's uh, that's a see, good thing. That, see, that's bold. But <laughs> it's reasonable. bold but reasonable. <laughs> yes, yeah, Ben, you'll you'll get to hear some of them. Um, you know, this one our listeners have already heard them, but yeah, you can go ahead with your bold prediction now. All right, I am. My bold prediction is coming off of a rumor that I heard um, this preseason, and um, and we talked earlier about how Henry Ruggs has kind of underwhelmed in the Raiders offense 
which I think leaves a void for a true number one wide receiver out there in Las Vegas. And my bold prediction is that by the end of this season, people will realize that Brian Edwards is a true number one wide receiver. He can be that guy who you can uh, plug into your offense and rely on to move the ball through the air for you, uh, as he did on occasion at South Carolina, and I think he can do it in the pros. Um, I think this year is his breakout year, and he's going to have a a big year, at the very least statistically, um, and uh, and you will all realize it by the end of week uh, 18 it is now. And that may be the end of it because I don't (laughs) Uh see, I don't know if they'll make the playoffs even with a big year from Brian Edwards, but I think he's going to be considered a a number one wide receiver by the end of this year. A couple of Gamecocks for you, Jared Cook and now Brian Edwards. So love the loyalty there. Um, So my, my bold prediction is about the Broncos. um, Unsurprisingly, uh, Drew Locke MVP. So he's finally going to get it this year. (laughs) (laughs) Um, about it. So I'm actually going to focus on the defense for my bullet prediction. So I really like a lot of the moves they made this offseason, um, particularly involving their pass defense. So not only did they decide to keep Von Miller coming off an injury, he's older, but I still believe that he has a lot left in him, especially pairing him with a young pass rusher like Bradley Chubb. They brought back Justin Simmons in free agency, one of the better safeties in the league. And then they also signed Kyle Fuller in free agency and used their first round pick on Patrick Sertain. I think they did a lot to upgrade that pass defense, which was middle of the pack last year, tied for 16th. And my bold prediction is that the Broncos pass defense will rise significantly and be a top five pass defense in 2021. So another reason to be optimistic on the Broncos this year is not just that their offense will improve with a competent quarterback play, but that their defense will do their part to make this team a true contender. All right, so now let's move on to the NFC West. And let's start with the reigning division champions, the Seattle Seahawks. So in 2020, the Seahawks got off to a hot start. Russell Wilson found his himself leading the MVP candidates. Uh, everyone bringing up the fact that he never received an MVP vote. Certainly, he was bound to win it. Well, as the season went on, Things didn't go so well for Mr. Wilson, and the Seahawks did not look as dominant as they did at times early in the season. And while they did end up winning the division, eking out the Rams in the end, they lost them in the wildcard round by multiple scores. So their season came to an unceremonious end in the first round, making it six straight seasons since their last NFC Championship game appearance. And immediately led to offseason turmoil. Russell Wilson's name circling in trade rumors to the point where there is a list of preferred destinations if he was traded. Ultimately, it seems like things have worked out, at least for now, with Wilson and the Seahawks. But the big storyline for this team still heading into the 2021 season is after dodging offseason trade rumors of their star quarterback, will the Seahawks do enough this year to keep Russell Wilson happy? My question is to that is what is enough to keep Russell Wilson happy? Because if it's double digit wins and a playoff appearance and being in the mix, then yeah, I think that's enough uh, to make Russell Wilson happy. But if it's if it's a Super Bowl that has to make him happy, then I have my doubts. So I don't question their floor whatsoever. I think their floor is 
a borderline playoff team, a wild card round playoff team. Uh, but their ceiling, I don't know. I don't. I question if it's a Super Bowl or not. I mean, they made some good moves this offseason. They extended Tyler Lockett, who I love, and also extended Jamal Adams. And they drafted Dwayne Eskridge in the second round, who could be a potential third receiver after Metcalf and Lockett. They also added Gerald Everett. Uh, through free agency, who I liked with the Rams, who I think will likely be their starting tight end this year. And they replaced Shaquille Griffin with Akella Witherspoon. I don't I don't know how much better that makes them defensively. I'll admit, uh, yeah, I just question how how big their ceiling is. I'd like to get your thoughts on it. Well, as much as I enjoyed the Seahawks turmoil. I'm really disappointed that nothing came of it because we've seen Russell Wilson do it for years now. They find a way to win even when they give him absolutely no help. Like I I think that this Seahawks team is as good as it needs to be. And as long as Russell Wilson is back there doing Russell Wilson things, they've got a great chance at winning the division. And I agree with you. I think winning the division and winning one playoff game is at least is plenty to keep Russell Wilson in good enough spirits uh, to to stick around. Because I think that winning is kind of a magical thing. It heals all wounds. And uh, year in and year out, they find a way to do it, even when on paper it looks like they shouldn't. So I, as much as I hate to say it, I've got a lot of faith in Mr. Unlimited this season, that he'll not only win games, but also do do enough to make himself satisfied with the Seahawks organization and stick around for a long, long time. So last season, the Seahawks won double-digit games. And they made the playoffs. They didn't win a playoff game. I, I don't think it's that simple for this team. I think that in terms of keeping Russell Wilson happy, I think the expectations have to be extremely high. And it's not even just how far this team can advance in the playoffs. It's the fact that Russell Wilson is continuously at or near the top of the league and most times sacked. He's someone who's been sacked 50-plus times three seasons in a row. And I don't know if the Seahawks did enough to upgrade their offensive line this offseason to make sure that doesn't happen again. I think that there's plenty of reasons for Russell Wilson to be frustrated. And we say Russell Wilson can do whatever he needs to do, like let Russ cook. I mean, I guess at, at that point, that's probably what comes down to happiness for him is him having better control of the offense. They replace offensive coordinators in the offseason. So there's reason to believe that, okay, maybe that could be enough. But I don't know. I, I really question it. And I, I think when I look at the rest of this division, it's the arguably the toughest in the league. Uh, it's probably I don't think it's arguably. Yeah, I, I mean I, they are the toughest. I division. think it's it's the one division. You know, we'll talk about the other teams, but I think it's the one division where you look at it and say that not just all four of these teams can make the playoffs, but all four of them could reasonably make it at the same time. There were questions of that early last season. Um, is it likely? No. But I don't think it's impossible to see the Seahawks just get lapped by some of these teams. And when I look at their defense, they were thirty first in pass defense last year. They had a lot of sacks. I think they were top 10 in the league. Jamal Adams is a leading sack guy at nine and a half sacks last season. And yeah, it's, they had to bring He's him back. He's a safety. He's a safety. And that's there has to be some correlation between your best pass rusher being a safety and your pass defense being miserable, right? Uh, their number two guy, Jerron Reed, they released. He's now on the Kansas City Chiefs. So 
I really question how this defense is going to do. I think that the offense is going to have to move the ball to win games. And yes, they have Russell Wilson. Yes, they have weapons like DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett and Gerald Everett now at tight end. But if that means Russell Wilson throwing the ball, taking a ton of hits, is that going to make him happy? I don't think so. And I would not be shocked if we go through this again next season, uh, next offseason, and the result is very different than Russell Wilson coming back for 2022. So I think the expectations need to be higher than what you guys have thrown out. I well, I hope I, you're well, right. I was questioning I was questioning their ceiling as well. I mean, I was saying if if it's enough to keep Russell Wilson happy to win, yeah, double digit games and be a a playoff team, then yeah, great. But if 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 they want to win a Super Bowl to make Russell Wilson happy, then yeah, then I doubt if they can actually accomplish that. So I was kind of in the same boat as you. I probably just didn't explain it as well as you did, though. Well, <laughs> so, you know, I, yeah. I think you're right. I think it's important to point out that winning, like it's how they do it, I think will influence how Russell Wilson uh, comes out, his opinion of the team coming out of the season. But I'm just not that lucky. This guy has been personally victimizing me for the larger part of my fanhood as a football fan. And there's no way he's just going to walk away, especially if they're winning double digits and going to the playoffs and winning games. So I do I just can't count on it. For a second there, they had me convinced he was on the way out this offseason, and I think that they came back from that, and I don't expect it to get that bad again. Let Russ cook. That's what it comes down to. Uh, (laughs) Shane Waldron is the new offensive coordinator replacing Brian Schottenheimer. Wilson has said that the offense is complex. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, Uh, but Shane Waldron I think is the most important guy on this team this year, because I think it's going to, he's going to play a big role in terms of Russell Wilson's happiness and ultimately his long-term future in Seattle. There's definitely some similarities with him and Rogers. Now Rogers, I mean, there were questions of he, if he would play this year. I mean, I don't think there were doubts about Russell Wilson playing, but there's kind of a similar thing where he's seeing Tom Brady in Tampa. He, he, what he was at the Super Bowl. I mean, they they got a camera shot of him in the box seats, and he's watching Tom Brady in his first year with a different team just go out and win a Super Bowl just like that. And Russell Wilson is probably thinking in that moment, what am I doing right now getting killed by my bad offensive line and really not much help elsewhere outside of a couple couple of my receivers? So, yeah, I, 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 I can see why Russell Wilson was unhappy, and maybe that could still be the case next season. Yeah, and in this division, it's uh, it makes it even more difficult for him to have that kind of success he wants. And one of the teams, the team that knocked him out in the playoffs, made some big moves this offseason, the Los Angeles Rams. So a couple years ago, they went to the Super Bowl. Sean McVay, this bright offensive genius, really seemed to turn around this team. But the past couple of th- seasons, things have hit a bit of a standstill. Last year, they did make the playoffs, did win a playoff game, but ultimately, they weren't really seen as true Super Bowl contenders. And a big part of that is that their former number one overall quarterback, Jared Goff, kind of reached his ceiling early, didn't live up to expectations. There was a longing for an upgrade at quarterback, a new toy for Sean McVay. So what did the Rams do? They went out and traded Jared Goff and more future first round picks that they love getting rid of for Matthew Stafford of the Detroit Lions. 
So the big storyline for the Rams entering this season is will Matthew Stafford be a big enough upgrade at quarterback to get Sean McVay and the Rams back to Super Bowl contention? So I've been clearly on record saying that Jared Goff sucks, no <laughs> doubt about it. I think I think that's pretty obvious now. But I, what I will say, though, is when the trade was announced that Goff was being traded to Detroit along with several first-round picks or multiple first-round picks for Matthew Stafford. I'll admit my thoughts on it were I think that trade was I mean, it was bold, but I thought it was a little too pricey for the Rams. I mean, think about it. The, the Rams, to get Goff, not Stafford, to get Jared Goff, they traded two first-round picks, two second-round picks, and two third-rounders. And yes, they got a fourth and a sixth-rounder back, but I mean, whatever. And then to get Stafford, they traded two more first rounders, a third rounder, and Goff, just just to get Stafford. So if you think about it, if your head isn't all over the place right now, they traded four first rounders, two second rounders, and three third rounders to get Matthew Stafford. Eight <laughs> eight draft picks to get Matthew Stafford. If you think about it, that is absurd. They, the the Rams are just allergic to first round picks. I think the last time they used a first round pick, no joke, was Jared Goff to show you how <laughs> how much they just don't like first rounders. Now, sometimes it's worked out. I mean, Jalen Ramsey, they traded multiple first rounders. I think that trade has worked out, but the Goff trade, I, that that did not work out. Even though they made it to a Super Bowl and lost, I still think that was not a great trade up and I think this is a pricey trade as well to get even though it's a better quarterback I still think it's pricey and I mean yes Stafford he will be surrounded by better weapons a better line better coaching better everything better city to live in being in LA instead of Detroit and so I'm sure Matthew Stafford is rejuvenated and I I like his arm strength and his decision making more than Jared Goff so there's plenty of reasons to like it but I feel like one of the biggest intangibles to have or yeah best intangibles to have as a quarterback a great quarterback is can you perform under pressure I have no idea if Matthew Stafford can do that because he's been with the sucky Lions for 12 years and he's 0-3 in the postseason now that might change with a much better team but that part I have no idea and so I'll admit I I doubt it a little bit more than probably most people well, the hype is real in the NFC West. I think a lot of people are thinking that this is the addition they needed for the Rams. And I feel very strongly about Matthew Stafford. I was one of the people who was hoping the Niners would trade for him. I mean, once upon a time, we also had a bunch of future draft picks that were ours and not already traded away. And uh, we were in search of an upgrade at the quarterback position. It could have been, as you uh, have coined it, Brian, hand some Jared Goff and a handful of first rounders in exchange for Matthew Stafford. Um, <laughs> and I would have been fine with that because I think Matthew Stafford is a tremendous quarterback and whether it would have been Shanahan's system or like what it actually will be, which is McVay's system, you're putting a good quarterback with good decision-making in a system that can enable bad quarterbacks. So it's almost like the game's going to be going in slow motion. And I expect Matthew Stafford to have one of his best seasons ever. Uh, because he'll be in in a position to succeed. And if the Rams defense can stay dominant, I see no reason why this team can't be amazing. 
uh, this upcoming year. So I, I'm I'm really big on Matthew Stafford at the Rams, and and I really when when I found out the Niners weren't trading for him, I was hurt. When I found out who he was going to instead, I was devastated because this is a huge problem for the entire NFC West, um, be, especially with how much we loved playing against Jared Goff. So. I think this was a great move. It's a win-now move. It feels like the Rams have been in win-now for a while, but this is the, the nowest now, and um, I, I think it was a, a really great move. It's going to pay off this year. So in the past, uh, I have often thought that the Detroit Lions quarterback situation with Matthew Stafford being paid a ton of money eating up a ton of their salary cap was one of the worst situations you could be in in the National Football League because you have a guy who you know is a franchise quarterback, a guy who can lead you out on the field. You can rely on him to be successful, but ultimately he's going to hold you back because he doesn't have that it factor. He doesn't have that thing that separates him from, you know, like the Hall of Fame guys who can come in and be. Super Bowl quarterbacks, and they're worth that kind of money. Um, but I, I've thought a lot about that in, in recent years and recent months, and I don't think I ever fully gave credit for how horrendous of an organization the Detroit Lions are, that I think I was selling them short with how bad they are because it's not necessarily Matthew Safford's fault that the Lions were a mediocre team, that their ceiling was maybe make the playoffs once every few years. Uh, they ran Barry Sanders out of town in their early retirement. They did the same thing with Calvin Johnson. So I don't think it's fair to put it all on Matthew Safford the more I think about it. Um, and because of that, I'm all in on the Rams this season. My expectations are through the roof for this team. I'm very excited to see what happens when you put Matthew Stafford in this offensive system that Sean McVay runs. I think that uh, there's plenty of reasons to be optimistic for Rams fans to think that Matthew Stafford is going to be a significant upgrade over Jared Goff and that this team is going to go and be like the Super Bowl contender that they were a few years ago. You already talked about how stellar the defense is. They were number one statistically last season. And as long as the defense doesn't take a huge step backwards, this offense should take a big enough leap forward that they're going to compete with some of the better teams in the league. They're going to be right up there with your teams like your Kansas City, your Tampa, your Green Bay, your Pittsburgh. So, yeah, I'm all in all in on the Rams this season because of the Matthew Stafford trade. Would it surprise you even a little if they get back to the divisional round just like they did last year and then they face a team like the Bucks or the Packers or, or whomever in the, the, the NFC? And the NFC is, is really good. and It is. Oh, it's definitely good. And I, I think that... You know, I can see, I guess, those three teams you mentioned, and maybe there's a possibility someone else gets thrown in there. Um, it can go a lot of different ways. Uh, I don't I, think I guess, that just because they lose in the divisional round necessarily means that they wouldn't be Super Bowl contenders. But I, I, I don't, do I don't believe the team would be strong enough to get past those teams. Yeah, I don't I don't question Stafford's toughness or arm talent or whatever. I, I just have no idea what is what he's like in the postseason because he's 0-3, but he's been with the sucky Detroit Lions for all these years, and we won't know until until January. When, he when could it have actually easily won happening. that 2014 playoff game against the Cowboys. If, uh, he did know, get screwed calls. in that game. Yeah. I do agree with that. <laughs> no, and I, I, do, I do understand questioning that because Safford has not 
been in those big time moments. He's played three wild card round games in his career. So there are certainly reasons to question Stafford in those situations. But at the same time, I think he's been in the league long enough that you know you can put him in those high pressure situations and you can have reasonable expectations that he can succeed in them. It wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me at all if if they go to the Super Bowl and they win kind of like how Tampa did last year in Tampa and this year's Super Bowl is going to be in LA and yep. I can I can see I can see it. I'm I'm just trying to temper the expectations probably less than you guys on on it. No, and I we think that's, they gave up a big haul to get Matthew Stafford. Like I said, they did they with the combination did. of the Jared Goff trade, <laughs> they basically gave up eight eight draft picks to get Stafford. Thinking yeah. about it, and we all know how important home field advantage is in the Super Bowl. So I think that is a really strong argument for why they could be Super Bowl favorites this year, should they get there. Um, but st- I think there's a there's a lot of hype, especially in just like NFC West Twitter, <laughs> um, uh, that Matthew Stafford is going to be huge this this season. And I, I t- I'm with them. I think the hype is real, and he's going to have a big year, maybe his biggest. In every season that he's been fully healthy and played 16 games, he's thrown for at least 4,000 yards. So now in 17-game season, yeah, there's there's reason to believe that his uh, numbers could be through the roof for sure. Um, and now let's move on, though, to the Arizona Cardinals, who in 2020 got off to a strong start. We talked about it with the Raiders. It looked like they were a playoff team, and then they struggled down the stretch. They ended up losing more games than they won. And ultimately, when it came down to it, they lost to the Rams in week 17 and they fell short of the playoffs. So this offseason, the Cardinals went out and they made a lot of moves that involved bringing in veteran players over 30. Guys like J.J. Watt, A.J. Green, Rodney Hudson, Matt Prater, Malcolm Butler. So the big storyline for the Cardinals entering 2021 is, will all the veteran talent added in the offseason be the difference for the Cardinals after barely missing last season's playoffs? Yeah, I'll admit, I'm not super high on the Arizona Cardinals this year. I feel like, yes, they've made a lot of moves for from free agency, but I feel like a lot of the free agents they picked up this year are well out of their prime or too injury prone. Not all of them, but... The most notable ones like AJ Green and JJ Watt and James Conner, those guys are either too injury prone or out of their prime or both. And I'll admit, like I'm I don't love the moves that they made. I mean, I like some of them, but not definitely not all of them. And I'll admit, I kinda question how good of a coach Cliff Kingsbury is. I mean, he has he's had a losing record so far as a head coach. And last year the Arizona Cardinals, they were the third most penalized team in 2020 and it they're they're screwed over that they have to play six games in the nfc west that really hurts them because i feel like the arizona Cardinals they would be a potential playoff team in other divisions but in the nfc west i i think they're gonna finish dead last i echo all of that brian i'm shorting the cardinals hard because they are in a really competitive division but they've just been so underwhelming and I thought this this team was supposed to be raiding the air on offense, and instead they've been, uh, besides one spectacular DeAndre Hopkins uh, Hail Mary catch, you know, massively underwhelming. So, um, yeah, I feel the same way. This team, 
Uh, they need to figure it out this year. This is Cliff Kingsbury's third year, I believe. And he's, again, supposed to have been this offensive wizard, supposed to be um, enabling this number one overall quarterback that they've got. But I don't know if he can put it together. And I think this could be... Uh, you know, maybe this is a little bit bold to say, but it, you know, it, I think that uh, Cliff Kingsbury's seat is warming up a little bit, um, and I don't have high hopes for him. So, last season, I was high on the Cardinals. I thought that they would be a playoff team, and for most of the season, I looked like I actually got one of my uh, predictions right. Ultimately, I fell short, and I want to be high on this team this year. But as much as like the veteran additions could maybe be a difference maker, you know, add JJ Watt to that defense, pair him with Chandler Chandler Jones, uh, you throw AJ Green in there as kind of a replacement for Larry Fitzgerald, and obviously having DeAndre Hopkins right up there with one of the best receivers in the league. Like there's reasons for the Cardinals to be successful. But I agree with you in the sense that it's gonna come down to Cliff Kingsbury and can he help lead this team to the next step? And is is Kyler Murray going to be the guy who's going to also get into like the MVP conversation because I think that's where he's going to have to be for the Cardinals to compete for a playoff spot in a extremely tough division in the NFC West and I think that every team in this division has reasons to believe that they can win it and that they can potentially be a Super Bowl contender but the Cardinals are probably the one who should have the lowest expectations and um, you know it is kind of unfortunate for them being in this division because it puts them in a really tough spot so and I, I can't help but look at their defense as well and just like really question it because they're ending the season like Malcolm Butler might be their number one cornerback and you know, Brian, I know he'll always be that Super Bowl hero to you, but it's a long time since oh, his uh, glory days in New now. England. Yeah. yeah. I I'm, I was a big M- Malcolm Butler fan. I'll I'll fully admit that I overrated him when he was in New England. I, I was I was such a huge fan. He played his butt off every single time he was out there and yeah, Super Bowl hero for sure. And then I'll and then of course his last game that he barely played was in the Super Bowl <laughs> against the Eagles where he for whatever reason, we'll never know why he didn't play. And yeah, ever since he's been out of New England, yeah, it hasn't it hasn't panned out for him. Yeah, and I mentioned earlier Rodney Hudson, a big loss to the Raiders. I think he can be a huge addition for the Cardinals. He can help out this running game. They lost Kenyon Drake. They did sign James Conner. I'm certainly rooting for him. I would love to see him have success um, you know, after his, his time in Pittsburgh. But uh, there's, there's plenty of question marks when you kind of look around this team. And there's... Uh, you know, I don't think it's bold to say that they'll be a playoff team this year because they certainly have the talent. But when you look around the rest of the division, you know, they, they certainly need to take a big leap forward. And after we saw them collapse last year, there's plenty of reasons to maybe be pessimistic about them. All right. So now let's uh, finish up with our final team. That is Ben's team, the San Francisco 49ers. Finally. So the 49ers had a surprising 13-1 season in 2019, made it all the way to the Super Bowl. Expectations were high in 2020, and injuries ruined the season pretty much right away. Uh, Nick Bosa tearing his ACL, the reigning defensive rookie of the year. So many guys lost to IR. One of the notable players was quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo, who ended up missing most of the season. There were already questions of whether the 49ers should upgrade him going into the season despite leading them to the Super Bowl, and those calls certainly didn't go away. 
health will always be a big concern for the 49ers. And while there's certainly a lot of storylines for a team that struggled last season coming off a Super Bowl appearance, the arguably the biggest move that any team made this offseason was the 49ers giving up multiple first-round picks, jumping all the way into the top three. What would they do with it? They ended up going with rookie quarterback uh, Trey Lance out of North Dakota State, someone who is a bit of an unproven commodity, but with high expectations. You're already hearing comparisons to Patrick Mahomes. So of all the big storylines entering the 2021 season for the 49ers, I think it's fair to say from a national perspective that the biggest storyline is can incumbent starter Jimmy Garoppolo stay healthy and perform well enough to hold off rookie sensation Trey Lance for QB1? You go, Ben. This is your team. Okay, well, I think, you know, 2019 seems like it was so long ago, but really the only difference was that Jimmy was healthy, and there I still have a lot of faith in Jimmy as a uh, quarterback. In fact, before we made that trade, but like there's a window of time between the Matthew Stafford trade and uh, the 49ers trade for all for the third overall that I was thinking, okay, uh, you know, maybe we'll get a cornerback in the first round, right? Let's reload here. And I still feel really strongly about Jimmy Garoppolo, should he be able to stay healthy. Uh, I think the 49ers also have a strong incentive to let Jimmy Garoppolo play football, especially if he's playing well enough to win games, because they need to get draft capital back, or at least they would want to and if they're going to trade jimmy away his stock is really low right now or lower than i think it could be uh if he got out there and started winning games again i believe he's a startable quarterback in the nfl and when they're healthy the 49ers have a good roster you've got devo samuel you've got brandon Ayuk, you've got george kittle in my opinion the best tight end in football uh and a resurgent offensive line they added alex mack this offseason to kind of shore up the interior of that line. But then you've got McGlinchey and Trent Williams on uh, two solid tackles. People are saying McGlinchey will be better this year. He had a down year in 2020. But I think if the 49ers can just simply stay healthy in general, not just Jimmy Garoppolo, you've got a stacked roster right there. On the other side of the ball, you've got Nick Bosa coming back, who he had one of the most dominant rookie seasons for an edge rusher. And I know he got like he got injured so early last season that people just kind of forgot he existed. Um, and even though he's not in off-season acquisition and won't show up on any of your like you know biggest moves of the off-season, I think him coming back healthy, if he can come back and be Nick Bosa, that's huge. That that improves the Niners' defense so much. Uh, so and not to mention you've got Fred Warner back there. Uh, you've got a team that is ready for the playoffs. Um, and I don't think that team needs to have Trey Lance taking over the starting job uh, to, to do that. So I, I do think that Jimmy has what it takes to stave off a year from Trey Lance. And I think ideally for the 49ers, you wouldn't even need Trey Lance until next season after you trade away Jimmy. I'll admit, I, th- I think Trey Lance is going to start much earlier than people expect. Especially, I mean, looking at Jimmy Garoppolo's cap hit, I mean, he's going to make $25 million a year, uh, $25 million this year, and I don't know how... I could see Garoppolo not being on the week one roster, as crazy as that sounds, just given his cap hit and how Trey Lance has looked so far, especially after that preseason game. I don't think the 
49ers ownership is going to want to pay Jimmy Garoppolo $25 million just to hold a clipboard and have have the big franchise piece sitting on their bench. I, I think I, I could totally see Lance starting earlier than than expected. And that's not a shot at Garoppolo because I, I, even though I've said handsome Jared Goff <laughs> as a troll job, I actually did like Garoppolo when he was in New England. But this is why I'll admit I didn't love the question that Corey put out because I really think Trey Lance is going to start much earlier than people expect. So what would be the incentive of clearing cap space now? Who, What, what would the Niners use that I, money so I'm for? Su- I'm surprised Garoppolo's still on the Niners roster. I, I, don't I know think it's it's all there. about his stock being th- as low as it is. Nobody wants hobbled Jimbo the, they could after, release he, him. after he li- limped off MetLife. Right, but why would they do that when they could potentially get something for him later on? Uh, you know, I can't guarantee he'll be on the roster all year. Maybe he's uh, just like he was back in, what year was it, 2017? Uh, 2018 when he tore his ACL week three no I'm talking about when he was the trade deadline deadline. trade that could happen again for Jimmy if he's playing well enough and you know maybe uh, I I, there is a lot of confidence around Trey I know what you mean you want to get his stock up yeah so you can actually get something for him uh, there's been incredible hype around Trey Lance in fact right now you're talking about his big preseason game he had a 80 he, yard I will admit, yeah looking at the stats like he had more incompletions than completions but yes. that was his first was pass great. of the game right and it was incredible it was everything that we wanted him to be right away so Niners fans are of course losing their minds but it's first off it's preseason and also we're running a football organization here just because we have maybe he's ready earlier doesn't mean we shouldn't worry about the future of the franchise and we did give up an incredible amount to to acquire Trey Lance and I think that it would be silly to not at least try to get something and back for Jimmy especially when again I believe in him I hope that the front office believes in him that he can win football games I, I mean I fully expect him to be the starter week one against Detroit and I expect him to win so it's I think it's a situation that they're gonna have to handle correctly but if they do it can be really it could be a similar I, I've been bringing I've been saying this a lot which I know it's it's very lofty to say but I think it could be similar to the Chiefs Alex Smith Patrick Mahomes situation where you have a serviceable starter you get something back for him and then you have a great future with your new quarterback I get the similarity I I just don't think Trey Lance is gonna sit entire year like Mahomes did now Mahomes played the last game but you know what I mean uh, yeah I was actually I, well, I, I I've re- been saying it's different because Trey Lance will play a week 18 meaningless game because Jimmy will have already locked up the the <laughs> bye week <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think there's a huge difference between saying we will see Trey Lance at some point this season and he's going to be the week one starter and the 49ers just going to release Jimmy Garoppolo for nothing because I'm, I, I'm not saying I agree it's going to happen I'm just saying I can see it happening I agree with Ben and other 49ers fans who would want some sort of value from Jimmy Garoppolo and right now his stock is at an all-time low so there's reasons to want him to come in and build that back up that being said I mean there's so much hype around Trey Lance and there's there's reasons for the 49ers to believe that they can get back to the Super Bowl if they can stay healthy uh, now, one storyline for this team is Robert Saul is gone. He's off to the coach, the New York Jets. D'Amico Ryans is coming in as a defensive coordinator. I don't know what that's going to do to the defense, but the expectation is that their defense, when healthy, should still be near the top of the league. So maybe all it takes is a competent quarterback to game manage like Jimmy Garoppolo did in 
2019 where there were some games where Jimmy performed really well and was a big reason why the 49ers won. And there were other times where they were able to rely on a system that enabled just any running back to come in and have success and a defense that would just overwhelm the opposing team. And the 49ers were able to win that way. Um, That being said, I think that one thing that I keep thinking about with the 49ers. So you mentioned Alex Smith and the Chiefs. At one point in time, he was the 49ers quarterback. He got injured in 2012, and that was what led to Colin Kaepernick getting his opportunity there. And um, I I always think back to a Bill Simmons mailbag question, entry, whatever, back when he was still at ESPN, um, still doing those every week. I don't know that he does them anymore with the ringer. But I always remember a 49ers fan talking before Alex Smith had come back from injury when there was still a question of, do you leave Colin Kaepernick as a quarterback? Then, you know, a few starts, he looked amazing. Uh, Alex Smith, you kind of knew what you had with him. But he kind of, he mentioned one thing that really stuck out to me was if the 49ers fall behind 14 points with Alex Smith at quarterback, you know the game is over. If that happens with Colin Kaepernick, they have a chance to come back and win. And I can see that being a similar situation with Jimmy Garoppolo versus Trey Lance, where Jimmy Garoppolo is someone who can hold his own. And if the, you know, the defense plays well, he can give you an early lead. He can hold everything down. But if it comes to trying to mount a comeback, I don't know what to make of Trey Lance. But when you hear all these expectations, you know, these comparisons to a guy like Patrick Mahomes, you can't help but think he's that guy who's going to come in and save this team, not just do enough to manage the game, but ultimately be the guy who puts them over the top. That being said, is he capable of doing that in year one? He played one game last season for North Dakota State in FCS school. He bar- he's barely played, he played two a, years. I think he played a Division two opponent even last year. Like it's not, it's not reasonable. I think for him to come in and be a Week One NFL starter just based on his college experience. But the 49ers have these high expectations, and if things don't go great early on with Jimmy Garoppolo, then um, there's certainly going to be pressure to get Trey Lance in, even if it means sacrificing any attempt at salvaging Jimmy's value. There's going to be insane pressure. First incompletion from Jimmy. There will be Niners fans <laughs> demanding to let Trey into the game. And I wouldn't. I actually wouldn't be surprised if we saw Trey, uh, yeah, Trey Lance in a bit role in every game this season i wouldn't be surprised if if shanahan throws him out there as like a you know confusing change of pace right quick uh give jimmy a a second to catch his breath but at the same time a lot of people saw trey lance as a reach at number three a lot of people said what are the niners doing and the niners are in a unique position where they already have a quarterback and i think kyle shanahan knows what he's doing john lynch knows what he's doing and they desperately want to give him that time to adjust to being in the league. I don't think they're going to forget that he only played one game of college football in uh, last year at <laughs> in North Dakota. So he's got to have that time to acclimate. I think that it works. You see these young quarterbacks who come in a little bit more raw, but if they're given the time, look at Josh Allen. I think the Niners lost to Josh Allen last year in the Bills was a really – um, impactful loss for this organization where they looked at, cause that was a game where a lot of things went our way that kept us kind of in it against a team that we really shouldn't be able to stay with at that point, especially with our injuries. But there was one thing that made it so that we were never really going to win that game. And it was Josh Allen, his ability to, that, his ability to throw off platform, his ability to just 
move out of the court out of the pocket i think the 49ers looked at that and said we want that and if you have to wait a little bit longer for it i think they will that was josh allen's best game last year he was flawless in that game it was yeah yeah. i remember that game as it being played monday night football in arizona despite the 49ers being a home team but i like i thought there was something else about it so yeah hearing the josh allen playing great that definitely um, rings a bell so yeah i mean i think that's absolutely what any team should be on the hunt for and i'm i've always been a fan of sitting rookie quarterbacks uh when the opportunity presents itself you know sometimes like the Jaguars are going to rush in Trevor Lawrence the Jets are going to rush in Zach Wilson but the 49ers don't have to rush in Trey Lance and I think that they'll be smart to let him sit as long as he can because we don't know what Patrick Mahomes would have been like if he was thrust into action sooner in 2017 we don't know that him sitting here made him the the all-world talent he is now uh but that's there's certainly reasons to say that it was only a benefit for him. And if that's what it takes for Trey Lance to live up to the expectations of that means sticking through Jimmy Garoppolo, regardless of what it does to the 2021 team. Uh, you know, this is a team that certainly has reasons to believe that they can be great for years to come. They do have a young defense. So it's 2019 vibes. We were really good. Just letting the defense be great and letting Kyle Shanahan run the offense. I think Jimmy can do what Kyle needs him to do. Uh, which obviously no other quarterback that we've had could yet. So that's another thing too, is like Kyle Shanahan, while we do, I, I think he's, he is a really good coach. He has lost a lot of football games of the 49ers with quarterbacks not named Jimmy Garoppolo. And then suddenly Jimmy comes in there and he wins the vast majority of his games. I still think that he can go out there and do it and play within Kyle Shanahan's system. So I, I still have high hopes for Jimmy. Yeah, and a lot of so, it does come down to who ends up on injured reserve this year. And that's so what I was just about to so go much. to as well. Big positive injury regression, I'd imagine. B- bas- pretty much because they lost everyone last year. It happened in 2018. 2019, they said healthy, so it's an odd year team. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's, uh, let's move on now. Let's go ahead with our biggest uh, new addition that will have the biggest impact with the NFC West, Ben, as a resident NFC West fan, we'll let you get started. So I said that the AFC West was a little bit harder to pick up one number one big addition. The NFC West couldn't be easier. It could not be simpler. The biggest impact new addition to this division is Matthew Stafford. It flips everything upside down and suddenly the Rams are looking like the most potent team in the West. And like I said before, I, I believe that. And I think they are the team to beat. Uh, It does hinge on how well Matthew Stafford plays, but I have no reason to believe that he'll be anything besides excellent with a offensive-minded coach like Sean McVay. So I I think Matthew Stafford, the the shockwaves of his arrival in the West are still uh, making me, you know, have uneven footing because it was such a uh, impactful addition. This is kind of repeating what I said earlier, but I think Trey Lance is going to start much earlier than people expect and this so when we've talked about biggest impacts like I mentioned before this could be positive or negative and I feel like Trey Lance's upside and downside is massive both ways because people are comparing to Patrick Mahomes and if he's anything like that that's a massive win for the Niners but if he ends up being bad then it's going to look like one of the all-time worst trades giving up three first round picks for a guy who hasn't played in two years and he played at North Dakota state. So it could be, I could see it uh, one way or the other in terms of upside and downside. And so I think Trey Lance will 
start earlier than people expect, and this will be a really interesting year for him and the Niners. Stafford and Lance are the two obvious choices here. They have the biggest potential to swing the division one way or the other because of the position they play. Uh, just to throw out another game, name here, I'm looking at the Arizona Cardinals, and um, one name that I, I think stands out the most to me is Malcolm Butler. In 2020, he faced the most targets in the league, 116, and ended up giving up the most catches at 73. He also led the league in tackles because of it, or at least for cornerbacks and solo tackles with 89. So he's someone who saw a lot of action, and typically that's not a good thing. And the fact that he gave up as many catches as he did, that's not a great thing at all. And now there's this expectation that he's going to come in and be a starter for an Arizona Cardinals defense that really needs something big to step up and it's tempting to throw out a guy like jj watt here but i think butler has the potential to be a hugely negative impact uh, as much as he could be a positive one if he steps up and performs like he did uh, you know back in the day with new england and like we said earlier he's so far removed that i think that this is he could be um, a big impact as to why the cardinals maybe find themselves last in the division not necessarily why they find themselves near the top all right, now let's uh, wrap up the NFC West and the football talk with a bold prediction for the division. Should I go first? or no, uh, ben's, I, ben's. I'll go first on this one. And uh, my bold prediction, and this is very bold. I mean, it's, this is incredibly bold, and I won't hold it against you if, you if you call me out and say this is far too bold for anyone to, to predict. But my bold prediction is that the 49ers will stay relatively healthy. That's my bold <laughs> prediction. Because what does that mean? That, How do you quantify that or qualify that? You that? can't blame any sort of uh, them falling short of anything on the injuries okay. because it's part of football. You, there's people are going to get injured, but I don't think this. I'm going to say this season you won't be able to say the Niners aren't as good as they should have been because of all these injuries. Like you can definitely say it last year, and some people might even say that's garbage. Injuries are part of football. Deal with it. But let me, I think SB Nation put it really well. And let me just read a little bit from an article I read from them. The data shows the 49ers were far and away the leaders when it comes to adjusted games lost. San Francisco's players missed 161.6 games to injuries, plus five more related to COVID-19. Here are the five teams with the highest adjusted games lost for the 2020 campaign. The 49ers with 166.6. The Patriots with 134.8, the Eagles with 128.1, the Jets with 123.9, and the Cowboys with 118.5. Unsurprisingly, none of the five teams made it to the playoffs. The Niners' total adjusted games lost is the second most over the past 20 NFL seasons. Only the 2016 Chicago Bears had a higher total than the San, than San Francisco with 171.6. The Bears went 3-13 and 13 that season. The biggest enemy to the 49ers is their own health. If they can stay healthy, the sky is the limit. And my bold prediction is they will stay healthy. You'd have to think it's impossible to repeat that. 
Uh, one thing I'll say, the 2016 Bears, who did they end up uh, taking after going 3-13? and Mitchell Trubisky, number two overall. The 49ers, after their big injury, likewise traded up much further than Bears did. They ended up oh, yes, line. much so, further, because we won six games in yes. our injury season. So I think it's a completely different situation. Thank you very much. And, it is. Uh, no, but all I can say <laughs> is I hope it doesn't turn out the same way it did for that Bears team. All right, so for my bull prediction, this one is player-related. At the wide receiver position last year, uh, with minimum 60 targets in 14 games, there were five receivers in the entire league with a 25% red zone target share. One was Devontae Adams, shocker, Adam Thielen, Calvin Ridley, Keenan Allen, and Cooper Cup. Four of those five finished with eight touchdowns or more last year, the one guy off that list, Cooper Cup, scored three. So I expect big uh, touchdown regression, positive regression for Cooper Cup. And then even though I question how good Matthew Stafford is playoff-wise, I don't question him in the regular season whatsoever. I think it's going to be a, a terrific upgrade in the regular season at quarterback. And then at running back... Not only did they not have Todd Gurley anymore, of course, but they also lost Cam Akers this offseason to a torn Achilles. So they're going to have to rely on Daryl Henderson as their workhorse back. And I like Daryl Henderson. He was a third-round pick out of Memphis, and he's shown he's flashed some, some good game, but I kind of question how realistic it is to rely on him as the workhorse back. So when you factor in... The upgrade at quarterback, the downgrade at running back, and how good, how well coached the Rams are, and how much they rely on Cooper Cup, not just in the red zone, but just in general having 90-plus catches over the past two seasons, along with his low touchdown numbers last year. Uh, I really expect Cooper Cup to have a big year this year to the point where I'll say Cooper Cup finishes as a top five wide receiver in fantasy this year. Okay. Where, where does he like, stack up um, in just the real world for people who don't play fantasy? I think he'll have a great year. He'll have 90 over maybe 100 catches this year, especially since he plays in go. the slot That's as well. Because when Stafford was in Detroit, one of his go-to guys was Golden Tate. And from 2014 to 2017, Golden Tate had a stat line of 90-plus catches thousand yards average wise over that span and Cooper Cup in my opinion is better than Golden Tate was in his prime and so I think I, I think the quarterback upgrade is going to help running back downgrade and just the fact that he plays primarily in the slot and I don't know I, I love Cooper Cup this year yeah we didn't really talk about the um, Cam Akers injury at all I, I do think it's a good point but my expectation is that Daryl Henderson will be plenty good enough and that the Rams are going to make a move before it's all said and done in terms of addressing the running back position when final cuts and stuff happen they'll probably end up acquiring maybe a more notable name to be his backup uh, my bull prediction is also sticking in line with the Rams I don't know that it's incredibly bold compared to some of the other ones that I've thrown out certainly not compared to some of the other ones that have been thrown out during the series but I think it's bold enough 
Um, I am high enough on Matthew Safford that I'm going to say he's going to lead the entire league in passing yards this season. Uh, he barely threw 4,000 with Detroit last year, which was 12th in the league. I think in LA with Sean McVay, he's going to make a huge leap forward. And given that it's 17 games, he's probably going to have to throw for 5,000 yards. And I fully expect him to be able to. I'm sure that'll help your uh, Cooper Cup bold prediction there with him uh, being a huge part of that volume in terms of the passing receiving yards. So uh, that's that's my bold enough prediction. And uh, with that, that'll wrap up the NFL content for this episode. Before we wrap up the full episode, though, we are going to have a top five countdown. And like all of our top fives in the series, it is a topic chosen by our guest hosts. And for this one, uh, Ben will lead us through our favorite board games in this episode's top five. Not two, not three, not four. Top five, top five, top five. So Ben, before we get started, how about you let us know why you chose uh, board games as the top five topic for this episode? Happily. And uh, the reason I chose it was because I couldn't choose anything else because all my other ideas that I, I prompted you guys with weren't, they just didn't fit, I guess. The first one was uh, top five music venues that you've been to. Uh, just, you know, maybe we can recap uh, places we've had a, a nice musical experience. But it sounded, it, you guys, for one reason or another, said we couldn't do that one. Um, so I submitted a few others. For instance, I did top five places on your body where you can grow hair, but didn't get any response from you guys on that one. So then I said, Top five things you wouldn't want to find out your wife cut in half. Still didn't get anything from that one. Top five nicknames for body parts. No replies. Top five words to complete this sentence. I like to play with my what? Say and, it. Uh, <laughs> say it. Yeah, you, we would have said it on here, but nobody said it. Top five keys on a computer keyboard. Well, I... I- Hold on, I said something. <laughs> I didn't That's say true. something, but I, but I put a picture. That's true. It, it's not. There were responses to these, but none of them were. We're doing that as the top five. Uh, <laughs> I would have been. Were, I would have been totally fine with all, any of these. I just. I kind of just figured Corey would just be like, no, no, to all of them. But I, 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 see, I don't care. I my my reaction was you were disappointed that we shot down your legitimate idea that you're just. I'm gonna throw out a bunch of ridiculous ideas, and I was just <laughs> like, all right, I'm sorry, I'm just not having any of this right now. Like, like the please. You can go bro- you can grow hair on your body. I was like, okay, Ben's a big mustache guy, but then I thought about it more. I was like, mm, you know, do we really want to go with this one? Like what? Top five? Like how would you even separate like growing hair on your eyebrows? Like that's the best yes. place to grow hair. Like, uh, head. <laughs> Inside uh, your ears, you know. Um, yeah. and actually, now that we're doing it, it actually would be really fun. But that wasn't the one we settled on. We ended up settling on board games. A, uh, uh, you know, it's been rainy here in Columbia, South Carolina. I spent a lot of time indoors recently, and I've enjoyed a good bit of board games. So, um, you know, something I've done in my childhood that I still enjoy uh, now in adulthood, uh, especially because I'm I'm much better at reading the rules and, and figuring out how to actually play the games. So it's uh, it's something I still really enjoy. And for number five on my top five board games is Perfection. So have, have you guys played Perfection? Do you know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, Pop Goes Perfection. 
Yes, there you go. They, they they borrowed the Pop Goes the Weasel theme song for the board game Perfection, and it's 25 shapes that you have to fit into their corresponding holes in this board that is spring-loaded to go off after one minute. So you have to put the shapes in their corresponding holes in less than a minute and hit the stop button or else pop goes perfection and pieces go flying all over the place. And it's a lot of fun and you just keep on playing, passing it around and uh, seeing who can get the best time. And uh, it's a gr- and a great time is had by all when you play perfection. So that's why it's number five on my board games list. So I, I like this topic. Um, I don't play board games much at all these days, but... I did play them a ton as a kid, so my list is very much nostalgia-based, and that starts at number five, which is Clue. So this is a game that I remember loving to play as a kid. Um, So my dad, actually one of his nicknames was the Colonel because he used to play as Colonel Mustard all the time in Clue. And um, because of that, this is like one of the few board games that he would always be like willing to play on family board game nights, uh, the rare times that we had them. I also remember just playing them with playing it with friends a lot. Um, I started out with Clue Jr. So instead of being, you know, the whole murder mystery board game, uh, you know, the Miss Scarlet in the study with a revolver. It was a more more kid-friendly version. So instead, it was like Jimmy in the classroom with the colored pencils stabbing someone to death. Or <laughs> <laughs> They're still murdering each other? <laughs> I don't think it was the, uh, the scenario that was adult. I think it was the actions. <laughs> no, I, I don't actually remember exactly how it played out. Um, I do remember... It being, you know, not as fun as the regular game of Clue when I became old enough to play the real version. Uh, And then one thing I actually found out when I was doing a little research into Clue, there was actually a film in 1985 called Clue that's based on the board game. Do you guys ever heard of it, ever watch it? Um, No. It... So it it's it's gained a cult following over the years. Um, the critical response, Roger Ebert gave it a two out of four stars. It wasn't great. I think Rotten Tomatoes gives it a 65%. Metacritic, only a 39 out of 100, though. Generally unfavorable reviews. But it had kind of an all-star cast to it. Um, a lot of names and, you know, characters you might recognize. Um, so... Eileen Brennan, uh, admittedly don't really know her. Really, like most of the women in this, I'm not too familiar with. Um, Madeline Kahn. Ooh, she Tim played... Curry. Yeah, Tim Curry is in it. I figured you know him. Madeline Kahn was in Blazing Saddles, Oscar Academy Award nominated. Uh, Christopher Lloyd, Emmett Doc Brown, he's in it. Michael McKean, he's, um, I, I know him. I recently watched This Is Spinal Tap. He plays uh, Saul Goodman's brother, Chuck McGill, on Better Call Saul. So I, I know Brian's familiar with him. And then um, Martin Mull, if you uh, watch Arrested Development or Two and a Half Men, you'll know him as uh, Gene Parmesan or Russell the Pharmacist. So I was very surprised to see not only this movie existed, but it was actually like kind of like a high budget and had a, a cast of uh, actors and actresses that I was actually somewhat familiar with, somewhat recognizable. So anyway, it has nothing to do with Clue being in my top five. Just wanted to throw it out there. It's just a little fun fact. Yeah, so for my number five, well, so for my entire list, it's kind of like what Corey said, that it's all nostalgia, but I also feel like the my top five list, all the games are involve a lot of strategy, and so for my number five, I went with Chinese Checkers, which is basically a game where you have 10 pegs all 
in a triangle shape to start the game and it's played on a hexagon kind of board and it was a game I played a lot with my cousins. You could play with two to six people and the key to the game is to get all your pegs from one side to the other before any of your opponents can. And it, uh, I like checkers, but I, I think I'm a bigger fan of Chinese checkers. One, because I'm probably better at it and it involves a lot more strategy of how to get your pegs jumping over your own pegs and other others as well and is something I played a lot with my cousins when I was younger. So I went with that as my number five. I kind of forgot that game existed. I always remember it being entertaining. I do want to ask though, is Chinese checkers politically correct? Like, is it like, I feel like it's are not. You, are, you, are you asking, is it from China? Yeah. Yeah. I'll admit, that's, that's what I have called I'm wondering it. if there's like there, an alternate version that we should be using. This it prob- there probably days. is, but I'm going to ignore it. I've always called it Chinese checkers. Yeah, how is like the Google autocomplete for that is is Chinese checkers offensive? I would assume that it would be more. <laughs> it would be like <laughs> is Chinese checkers Chinese is what I would yeah. expect. But uh, I mean, is this like, is this like the Washington Redskins and Cleveland Indians where we gotta change the name of a game now? It's not, not yeah. just teams. Uh, that's what we're trying to figure out. Uh, the yeah, Wikipedia um, page calls it Sturmhalle, commonly known as Chinese checkers. Yeah, so I will call it Chinese checkers and instead of whatever say, their name was. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I guess it makes sense that it's called Chinese checkers because it's a strategy board game of German origin. So <laughs> <laughs> in Japan, the game is a variation called Diamond Game with slightly different rules. The game is introduced to Chinese-speaking regions, mostly by the Japanese, where it is known as Tioki Jump Chess. So there is at least some Chinese origin, but yeah, it. Yeah, we'll see about that one. I'm sticking with it. I don't that's, care. That's fine. We'll go with that. People will recognize it more if that's what we call it, I guess. Yeah. Um, moving forward to another, uh, who knows? Maybe this is also potentially offensive. Uh, at number four on my list, I've got a nonsense word that I have no idea the origin of. Jenga, uh, which is a classic game of skill and agility where you have to pull blocks out of a tower of blocks without knocking it over. Jenga is one of my favorite games because there everyone is a winner except for the loser and then there's an instant punishment for the loser which is that you have to set the tower back up it's uh, it can be played on a sturdy tabletop normal jenga or you can even play giant jenga usually found at one of the uh, you know more fun uh you know active bars that you can go to in the majority of downtowns across america so um jenga is a game that anybody can play the rules are simple the setup is easy and it's number four on my top five board games yeah almost every time i've played jenga in the last i don't know seven years at least it's been a drinking game um the the last time i did play it where it wasn't a drinking game was actually at work um and we were it was on a friday we were just found it in like the the dining area they were doing like an ice cream social to celebrate our first week on the real job and um, I started playing it with a bunch of people and we were told we could leave early, but the game was going on for so long and it was so intense and we were doing so well that none of us did and just left with like six people just playing Django while everyone else was long gone. Um, so it is a fun game, but uh, I'll move forward with my list at number five and that's Scrabble. So Scrabble is one where... You number four. 
my number four is Scrabble. Scrabble is a game where I played it almost exclusively at my grandmother's house growing up. Um, just a lot of great memories playing it with her and you know my brother or cousins, whoever else was over. Uh, never amazing at it, but that's also because I played most of the time when I was like 10 years old and didn't really know any better. Um, but yeah, that's it's kind of a nostalgia one for me. And really the, the reason why Scrabble is higher is because we played on a board where it had like the, the edges. So you could actually lock the tile in place and it wouldn't just slide around and get messed up all the time because that was extremely frustrating. Uh, so that made it so much better, just a more enjoyable playing experience. And Scrabble comes in at number four for me. My mom is a Scrabble fiend. And yeah. I've never beaten her, but really? I'm getting better in my uh, as I get older. So it's only a matter of time. But uh, it never fails to make me blood red mad when I lose <laughs> because my mom is better at spelling. Uh-huh. So for my number four, I went with Monopoly. I feel like this is a game that everyone has played at least once. I, I think it's arguably one of the most, if not the most, popular board game ever. And I I was definitely a fan of it. I, I wasn't great at Monopoly, but it was something that I had more fun with the, the more I played it. I, with all the twists and turns that come with the game when it comes to buying the properties that, that you wanted to buy or um, the chance and community chess cards. And I always wanted to be the car in, in Monopoly. I feel like a lot <laughs> of people always wanted to be the car in Monopoly. And... So it's definitely a game I. It's definitely a game I enjoy, not just as a board game, but also getting fast food at McDonald's and getting the <laughs> the, the the sticker behind the large French fries and see. Oh, hey, I got this piece now. I need now. I need more of these pieces along to go with it. And so it's fat. It's it's fun to play on a board game, but also at fast food restaurants whenever McDonald's has <laughs> Monopoly going. And so uh, definitely a great board game. So I put that as number four. Did you ever watch the um, HBO special McMillions on the McDonald's Monopoly scandal? No, but that sounds interesting. It was, it was really cool. I liked it a lot. I definitely would recommend it. Uh, pretty amazing how they were able to you know, get away with that for so long. All right, so coming in at number three on my list is Codenames. And have either of you ever played Codenames? I, have I don't think so. Okay, I had never heard of it either until a coworker of mine showed it to me. And basically, it's a 25-card grid, so five by five, of single, or maybe it's just words on a, uh, on a flashcard. And there's two teams, and each team has a code master. And the code master has a view of the grid that labels each card as either blue or red or neither and the blue team is trying to get their team to pick out the cards that are blue and the red team is trying to pick out the cards that are red and the code master knows which cards those are but can only tell their teammates by saying a number and a word and that number represents how many cards and the word is supposed to be somehow related it's supposed to be a hint at what word it is so the code master says something like two transportation and then the their team members have to all you know converse and try to figure out what they meant by that and pick out the cards it's not the easiest game to describe on a podcast but it is it is the uh source of so much discourse and heated debate over what that person meant by their number and their word and it's a great game for large groups because you really can as long as you can split it in half you can have 
everybody participate. Um, and it's a great one for, especially when the alcohol is flowing to get some uh, heated uh, conversation going back and forth. So um, I've played it a lot recently and I recommend that if you're going to play with a lot of people, you get the XL cards because the normal size cards are a little hard to read when you've got a big group. So uh, code names comes in at my number three uh, board game. I've definitely never played that before, but it sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, one that I would, I would certainly enjoy. Um, so my number three, Brian just talked about it, Monopoly. I felt like I had to include Monopoly in my top five, and I understand the frustrations with it. It can take a long time. That is, but w- yeah. That's why I only had a number four, because it, do- it definitely does take a while. Yeah, and I, I've played so many fun versions of Monopoly where it's like just a different theme board game, and I think that that just makes it like more enjoyable and my favorite version to play was the electronic banking one so instead of having all the paper money that you had to manage you just had a nice little credit card you just insert it and do all the work for you a lot of great times as a kid playing this one Um, it's a game that it's been a few years now but back when the electronic banking was still working you know the credit cards weren't damaged it was like a it was an old enough game (laughs) that jacobs field and texas stadium were board pieces texas stadium has been long replaced with at&t stadium and jacobs field is renamed progressive field in 2008 so that tells you how old it is uh but we had a lot of fun just playing that even as adults uh just you know on on family vacations uh just to pass the time at night so monopoly uh certainly needed to be in my top five and coming in at a healthy number Three. One one thing I forgot to mention when I was talking about Monopoly, the one I played the most was the Red Sox 2004 World Series edition. I played I that it. with uh, Kenny and his dad a few times at his house. That's a really fun one. Yeah, I, I love that one. I, I didn't like that Ortiz wasn't that high on the board. He should have been along with... Manny, <laughs> yeah, he should have been the Park Place boardwalk. I mean, the guy. Well, Manny won guy, World Series MVP, so I get him being at the top. But yeah, and Ortiz was one of the most clutch hitters MVP. of all time, and he, he was the ALCS MVP. Yeah, he should have been. That was one complaint I had about that game. But other than that, it was a great game. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so for my number three, this is also a game that involves strategy, but I will fully admit that it's more of a guessing game and probably easier for the average Joe to win at. And that game is Battleship. It's definitely a game that I like to play a lot. I've played with friends and family. And pretty much the idea of the game is to eliminate your opponent's five boats before your opponent eliminates your five boats. And those five boats are the carrier, the battleship, the destroyer, the submarine, and the patrol boat, as known as as well known as the PT boat. And I took pride in whenever I won, I took pride in the fact that I try to hide the PT boat. Uh, as well as I could, and where I would, I would put it in some ridiculous corner or have it surrounded by my other, my other boats, and in, in a random corner. And a lot of times it work out, but sometimes I do lose. But it's definitely a fun game for all ages, and so that's why I have that as number three. And that leads right into my number two, which is also Battleship. And you hit it right on the head, Brian, at the beginning. I love this game because. It's mostly luck. Like, there's some good heuristics you can follow to, like, improve your chances when you do hit a boat. Like, obviously, if you hit a boat, like, shoot around that area because you're going to hit more of the boat. 
But other than that, it's a really casual game that's a lot of fun and it's full of surprises. And something to add on top of the, the fact that it's a great game is that it's sp- like inspired the 2012 action sci-fi film Battleship, uh, which is based on the board game. And I think that the fact that that's even a thing is absolutely amazing that this simple game could inspire uh, a movie. So I uh, that's why it easily made its way to number two on my top five board games list. I have seen the movie. I, what I'll say is that it's not my favorite Liam Neeson movie. <laughs> no, 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 listen. I'm not saying it's good. I, I'm not endorsing the movie at all. But I do love the fact that a, a board game could be so classic that someone's like, yeah, we'll just turn it into a movie. <laughs> yeah, I forgot they made Battleship into a movie, just like Clue. I don't know. Maybe it's a future Apple chat. Compare the, the two board game movies <laughs> and see a, what else yeah, is out there. True, like, like idiots argue whether the book or the movie is better true intellectuals argue whether the board game or the movie was better (laughs) um i'm glad that you guys both included battleships on your list because uh well it it doesn't make my top five Um, i do have a fun memory from fifth grade so my teacher during march madness had us do a battleship tournament and me being who i am i got to organize it put together the whole bracket and uh everything and it, it was so much fun doing that i i won in the first round but lost in the second round uh brian's cousin actually won the whole thing so that's an out. awesome what, idea what did, he, what did he win again sorry a battleship tournament in the fifth grade he did wow yeah that's yeah cool. I 24 that. of us he won okay yeah. because imagine like if you there's only two outcomes of battleship like one person wins, one person loses. Yeah. And you make a bracket, you get one person who just goes on a flawless win streak to be the champion. Mm-hmm. That would be amazing. Oh, my, I want to do that now. It was it was fun. Yeah, definitely a lot of fun. I'm racing back to that. Um, anyway, my number two, another one that I really enjoyed playing as a kid, Sorry. And in particular, it was the Sorry Disney edition that we played at the Novotny household all the time growing up. Uh, fun game we played in the summer. Basically, when we got yelled at for playing too much Nintendo Wii, we would play Disney Sorry instead. So at least we weren't doing anything involved with screen, uh, even though we were still doing an indoor game activity. But I always love Sorry. Um, just a game where it can definitely get a little little heated uh and, and especially at the end knowing that like it's not like a perfect scenario once you get into that final sorry path kind of needing to be perfect it, it makes the game last maybe a little longer give other people chances and it's also very frustrating when you're just waiting to actually be able to start and like move your piece on the board uh, but it, it was one that I, I definitely had a lot of fun memories playing and um, certainly would be up there in terms of games that I would want to bring back and play again at this age. Yeah, and Sorry had the great, like, it was very aptly named because when you would, like, land on somebody else's piece and send them, yep. I don't know, back home, I don't remember exactly what it was called, but you got to say, Sorry. sorry. Yep, yep. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah, I always remember that from the commercials. All right, so for my number two, this is another game that involves a lot of strategy, and it's chess. And I'd imagine everyone has played at least chess once in their life. It's definitely, a, this is another game that where it's a very competitive and probably could get heated depending on who you're playing. And it's definitely something that I took a knack for. It, if if I'm playing a very casual person when it comes to chess, I'll definitely feel good about my chances on winning. But if I'm playing someone like my previous high school history teacher who was all about uh 
warfare in any any way, shape, or form, uh, he 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 would destroy me at chess. And so, I think it's a classic game everyone I imagine has played, and it's my number two for great nostalgia for that reason. I was actually hanging out with friends the other night, and um, one of them is really into chess. So another one pulled up a Twitch stream of like this elite chess champion playing three Twitch streamers simultaneously while blindfolded with his girlfriend telling him every move. So he just had to memorize the board himself and he still beat all three of them. Yeah, that, that, that's the kind of person that I will get killed by in, in <laughs> yeah. chess. It's actually uh. funny that you mentioned that because like sometime late last summer, chess was the meta on twitch like that was what was doing the best numbers was chess streamers. <laughs> I, I would always play the arcade chess uh and, and any any computer class that you're in yeah like elementary middle or high school or whatever no i <laughs> that was watch a- some it's it's a, it's cool watching people who really know what they're doing and can tell you while they're doing it it's fascinating yeah so that leads me to my number one on my top five board games list. And this is one, it may be a little bit surprising, uh, but it's one that I recently purchased and has been getting a lot of use. And that is 13 Dead End Drive. Has e- have either of you even heard of this one? <laughs> no, I have no. not. Okay, the premise is simple. It's actually, I would say it's kind of related to Clue, uh, except for finding out who did it is not really that important. Basically, the premise is that there's this rich old woman who's just died, and her 12 closest associates have come to her uh, mansion to read the will and see who's going to get all of her fortune and riches. And the, the way the game works is the name on the will changes based on like how the dice roll and how the game goes. And you there's, th- uh, there's three ways to win. You can either escape from the house while you're the name that's on the will, or you can be the name on the will when the detective shows up and stops all the chaos. And you might be wondering, what chaos? Well, that's the third thing. You can also kill each other. And if you kill all the other characters and only your characters are, or character are left, then you win and you get the fortune. So the house is full of traps that you can move characters onto and have them meet their untimely demise and it's just a bloody uh murder fest until somebody gets uh all of the fortune for themselves and uh it's a lot of fun it only takes like 20 minutes to play and uh it's one of those board games where you have to build it so there's a lot of uh like moving parts and the deaths are are a lot of fun because you actually get to like drop a chandelier on this person or trigger a, a, a lever that flings them down the stairs. And it's, uh, it's, it's really brutal and a lot of fun to uh, murder each other uh, in a board game. So that's yeah. why it's number one on my board game list. Yeah, I can, I can see that being a, a very entertaining one. Sounds like a lot going on there. Uh, There's a lot of intrigue, a lot of mystery, and definitely yes, a lot of fun. A lot of murder. Yep. And good strategy <laughs> as well once you understand the way the game works. Nice. So my number one is uh, also relatively unique, uh, and that is Stratomatic Baseball. And admittedly, this might be pushing it a little uh, between board game versus card game, but there is a board involved in it. Uh, This is basically a baseball simulation game that has been around since, I believe, the 50s or the 60s. And while they do have other versions for basketball, football, and hockey, baseball is the original and uh, still the most popular to this day. And basically the way it works is you have real-life 
cards to represent real life major league baseball players uh, from the previous season with their real life stats and you rolled dice to determine the outcome of games with a batter going head to head with a pitcher there's a ton of strategy involved just like as the actual baseball manager and uh, a variety of outcomes that the board tells you based on what you roll whether it's just a matter of getting on base stealing you know advancing runners there's a, a lot that goes into it and I had so much fun playing this I was first introduced to it by my uncle uh, when I was probably eight or nine years old playing a version from the 1970s and he bought me the 2006 season and then eventually the 2008 season. So I, I played particularly 2008 one all the time, uh, especially in the summers as a kid, whether I was playing against someone else or more often than not just playing games by myself. Uh, so just a ton of fun playing Stratomatic Baseball and uh, games I certainly could get into on a moment's notice again and have so much fun playing it, especially if I do play it with a family member who loves baseball just as much as I do. So this is wild because my number one is MLB Showdown, and I'm not going to explain the rules because it's basically the exact same thing as what Corey just <laughs> I explained. Figured it would be. Yeah. <laughs> and I I looked this up, and it actually is a different game, but the rules are basically the same. And I was when I was younger, I was really into card collecting, but r- strictly baseball. But before I got into collecting cards, actual baseball cards, I collected MLB Showdown cards. And which which had the stats of all the players, uh, and you had a dice that was one through twenty, and it would show you which ones, yep. same which options would get you a single, a double, a homer, or a strikeout, or whatever. And yep. it's literally the exact same game of what. Corey was there another six sided die? But, sorry, say that again. Was there also a six sided die? So the way that Stratomac baseball no, so it was is... one through twenty. Yeah, so there were two dice. So there was the one through 20, but there was also the one through six. So one through three were hitter numbers, and then four through six were pitcher numbers. Um, So that would determine it. So if it landed on the hitter side, then having a great hitter would be an advantage. If it landed on the pitcher side, having a great pitcher would be an advantage. Just added more to the um, you know simulation aspect there, of it. I'd imagine that there are some slight differences but it's basically the same thing yeah no that's that's it's really cool i mean the, the version that i know is fun and it sounds like yours is basically similar it, yeah so. it's basically basically the same thing i played the oh three oh four versions then so you you played later versions than i did but yeah. i had a ton of mlb showdown cards from those years that's awesome. That's crazy that there's two very similar games like that that exist. Um, but yeah, Stratomic Baseball, it's it's one that uh, is a ton of fun, and I'm sure Emily Showdown is very similar, given that it is. it sounds like it's almost the same game. This is really a mostly sports podcast. You guys found a way to <laughs> shoehorn oh, I, sports. I, I, yeah, I do that. I do that literally every top five we do. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it, well, it was one I didn't want to include it, and then I thought more about it, and I was like, this is close enough to a board game, and it. Oh, I yeah, played this so much that I think it has my, to be my mine. One. Honestly, it, it's not even played on a board; it's played on like paper, but or a yeah. It's not. It's definitely not an actual hard wooden board or anything. It's. It's definitely. All you have to do is like laminate that. it, and that kind of counts. Yeah. Right. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> probably not. No, you probably got me. But <laughs> it's close enough. It's a card uh, game. I'll admit, but it's definitely a game that I played uh, a lot and brings back good memories. And it's well, it's it's something like Cor- what Corey said, where it's de- it's a game that I could get back into. 
Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of getting back into these games, uh, I think this is a successful segment because as we speak, I've just ordered my own set uh, of Battleship that'll be nice. arriving on Friday. So there you, go. Uh, you guys have really inspired me here today. I'm glad. Did you get just like the the original one, or did you get like a fancy high? I got one? the ori- the one that it, it looks like the one that I had as a kid. So the nostalgia nice. is going to be very potent with this one, I believe. Yeah, no, that that'll be good for you. I'm glad. Uh, maybe you can even organize your own battleship tournament. Oh, with, uh, you know I'm going to. I, well, because okay, so I I remember we one time uh, went to the southeastern regional conference for our engineering fraternity in college, and we took part in a rock paper scissors tournament. It was just we were in a crowd, and uh, they were like, "Okay, stand up and play rock paper scissors with the person next to you. If you lose, sit down." And one person inexplicably will go on an undefeated streak. They'll tie, of course, but like they will. Just just, they can do no wrong and they'll win and i really want to organize that and give somebody that feeling i think that's really magical because yeah. it's like yeah i guess it's skill but it's really just luck and it'll be completely insane for that one person that's why i love yeah. battleship because yeah there, is there some skill yeah but it's it's way more luck than skill yeah and i feel like a lot of board games have a ton of luck aspect to them like yes they're certainly skill but um, but a lot of them don't, though. Like, there's a lot of board games where you really it does take skill, and if you're not as good as the person who owns the game, you will reliably lose. And those are the games yeah, I don't. Well, again, winning is not everything, but that's why I love games like Battleship because even if I own it, it's not like having ownership over the game and having played it more times gives me that much more of an edge over some rando that I play with. While chess is is way more skill. Than chess than is the yeah, opposite. No, and that's yeah. Yes, you're right. Yeah. Um, Settlers of Catan was one that I was kind of expecting on your list, Ben. Uh, definitely wasn't making mine. Even though I like playing it, I n- have never won. And every time I play, it's with my roommate who owned the game, and he won every single time. It just kind of case in it point. For me. Case yeah. in point. I same deal. I I think Catan is a really cool game. Interesting, complex, but not too complicated. But it's mm-hmm. a game that skill will reliably result in victory and i just don't have the skill and so that makes it not fun <laughs> yeah no and I, I agree that's that's certainly one where um skill plays a big role so anyway that'll wrap up this episode ben thank you for coming back on uh we certainly had a lot to talk about in this one but i, I think it was a lot of fun always great having you on he's done it talking about football certainly hope we have you back at some point during the regular season Uh, Oh, yeah. I always love coming on here and talking football with you guys. Uh, Talk to me when the Niners are 8-0. I'll come on then. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we'll see. I'm sure we can try to get you on when the Niners are doing something relevant, whether it's uh, them winning a ton or maybe Trey Lance. Get your thoughts on Trey Lance leading the way for uh, Offensive Rookie of the Year off the bench, too. He's not even Jimmy's still starting. (laughs) I can see it. I'm not joking. I can still see it. Him starting earlier than expected and winning Offensive Rookie of the Year. All right, so uh, for our guest host, Benjamin Carlson, my regular co-host, Brian Wells, I'm Corey Novotny. Thanks, everyone.